You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Stargazing Edition. Talk about Last Jedi. My name is Nathan Alverson, your humble and obedient host. That's Pastor Jacob Menzel right there. He sounds like this. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, and Jake, I'm sincerely excited about this one. We just did yeah, a little lens too, video yeah. for Patreon where I was like, I'm excited about talking about The Last Jedi. Yeah, and and were, I kind of rolled my you eyes. Like, sneer. Yeah. What a dumb idiot your face you were reading Tolstoy <laughs> and it's always like you're stupid his eyes said yeah like that, that was a really nice little one-time shtick in Anna Karenina that made it special he does it all the time in War and Peace yeah it'll be like why are you driving me here the donkey's eyes said it'll, <laughs> it's like all over the place yeah. War and the Peace actually was written second I discovered that I thought it was written first which is interesting so he discovered that shtick in Anna Karenina realized how powerful it was and decided to Use it. Use it everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. It's what people say about, it's what certain people say about the prequels. Like, lightsabers are cool when you only have to pull them out to solve a problem. Like, you're just going to cut this guy's arm off. It's over. The prequels, it's just like lightsabers all over the place, and they actually lose their potency. I don't actually agree with that argument. No, but lightsabers are way cooler in the prequels than they are in the OT. Well, a Tolstoy apologist might say he had a great trick, so why not just use it all over the place? Uh, you know, it's a valid. Why not do backflips? It's a valid with it. argument. Why not jump off of ledges? Why not super speed away from des- destroyers and stuff like that? Why not? I really miss that trick that Obi Wan and what's his face Qui Gon do when they just like do a Looney Tune down the hallway. Yeah. In Episode One, we have never that I can remember, at least in the non-animated media, seen a Jedi zoop do that, do the zoop before or and just like leave a. Cl- Obi-Wan shaped cloud right there that slowly dissipates. In the next episode, they're going to force teleport or something like that. In the Rise of Skywalker, you're saying? Yeah, they're going to do something like that. I'm sure they probably will. I mean, Luke does. Well, so they were super close to it in The Last Jedi. Uh, Not just with Luke force projecting or astral projecting himself, but also in the bridging of the minds of Rey and Kylo Ren. Right. So like, he gets wet. Yeah. He's afraid he's going to get shot. What if they bridge their mind? What if they have a whole fight, a mind bridge fight where the lightsabers are actually touching? Well, Jake, I feel like you might even be working in some backdoor predictions. Here. I've got all kinds of them, baby. Well, we did a little Instagram story, but I think this is in some sense going to be the last sustained word on Star Wars because we're going to do our breathless review of... We're not going to do like a final predictions episode or something? I don't think we're going to have time. I think this is it. This episode comes out the week of Star Wars, actually. The week week of Rise of Skywalker. This this episode comes out the day of Rise of Skywalker, actually. This episode will drop on that Thursday. Okay. So we need to put in our final predictions. Today. Right now. Okay. So what do you predict? Crap. And, I and wasn't it, ready for this, but all right. Jake, you were born. You <laughs> You came out of your mother's womb and you were ready to predict Star Wars. You said, baby Yoda. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Yoda's, Yoda's 900 years old. But you knew what you were talking about. Yep, day I was born. That's a true story. My first two words. I was there. I'm yeah. also 900 <laughs> years old. <laughs> and I was in, Jake, in the room with Jake's mom when she had Jake. So it's a Not whole weird thing. at all. It's a whole story. It's, it's the Nathan and Jake prequel trilogy. <laughs> and it sucks. <laughs> so anyway, uh, predictions. Final predictions. I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but I just feel like I feel like you can do it. Um, I'm like I'm like Kylo Ren. I'm trying to delve into your mind, and you're gonna like come right back and delve into our listeners' minds. Okay, we've got MacGuffins. Mm-hmm. 
Those MacGuffins are... You've been saying that I was right initially about this. I've been shying away from it a little bit, but I think it's, you know, it's one of those tricky things. Even with the Horcrux? Yeah. The whole Horcrux theory? Yeah. Whatever the MacGuffins, we've seen one of them now in a TV spot, a Sith dagger, they're right. calling she's it. Got, Ray's got it, right? Ray's got it, mm-hmm. yeah. We've seen it a couple of different points. So it's on the ship with Kylo Ren. It's in the battle where they end up destroying Vader's mask. We also see the Millennium Falcon, Ray force jump flying onto the Millennium Falcon as they get away. So maybe she's stolen it from that ship or something like that. They've given us a lot. Later, we see her holding it up sort of like a map or like a compass or something. So can I just say before you do it, just to maybe this is going to put too much weight on it, folks, but we talked last week or, or last episode, the Force Awakens episode about how me and Jake sat in Jake's living room and predicted Force Awakens. I did not predict The Last Jedi. But what did happen is about this time before Last Jedi, two weeks or so out, Jake texted me and said, eh, they're going to do this. So yeah. they're, they're, what they're going to do is uh, they, they got to kill Snoke and Luke's going to kind of sit it out, sit out the whole time. And uh, then he'll come back and he'll do something kind of cool and he'll die. And, and he'll be the symbol that'll kind of... Yeah, no. And I was so mad because I was just like, there are a million interesting things to do. Yeah. The odds of doing something uninteresting are to one, I said. 500 and whatever 3PO's thing. I don't know it well yeah. enough to do the reference because I'm not a nerd. If there's one thing that I think these Star Wars episodes... Uh, They've established these, that you're not a nerd. I'm not a nerd. Yeah. I was too busy smoking in the boys' room and all that cool stuff. Yeah. But to think too much about Star Wars. But, and I was so mad because I'm like, that's the one dumb thing. I mean, there's been a few times where, and he didn't deserve it, but there's been a few times where I think I've been more irritated with Jake <laughs> for correctly predicting a Star Wars movie. <laughs> and then I was like, and, but I, I kind of got him back by figuring out that Cap was going to live. Cap and, was going to live and go back in time. And then Jake had the experience. Back Nathan, I just suck. knew that he was right as soon as he said it. You're right about that. And that's so that's the one dumb thing that they can do. with. Well, you. the difference between that is that I am more personally invested in the Marvel films and Nathan's more personally invested in the Star Wars films. So I was able to cynically regard Marvel as a business and say, okay, here's the fact. Which is what I did with Disney and Star Wars last go around. And what, you know, it's our hope. It's our desire for... Let's just not pretend mm-hmm. like it's anything but our hope and desire for these things to be great that keeps us from admitting to ourselves what we already know they're going to do. When Nathan said what was going to happen with Cap, what I didn't feel was, oh man, that's an amazing, insightful idea. What I thought was crap. Why did you? I was angry because it was just like. Well, you almost have the feeling of why did you have to be gross enough to think what a dumb, gross person. Like, okay, we could both figure out how to seduce this girl at this bar, but why would we do that? Like, why did you lower yourself to how an executive at Disney would think to come up with the dumbest thing that they would do? And Um, of course they're going to do it. It's like, I think I just didn't want to admit that yet. (laughs) And we have not really had that moment with Rise of Skywalker. I, I say this to maybe build up our, and especially Jake's cred at predicting these things. I think this one's a little bit harder to predict because... Honestly, they just didn't leave good pieces on the board when Last Jedi ended. And so I don't know that there there's a number there's any number of cynical ways they could go that would be just fine. Yeah. You know? But I think I think that the basic idea of what we said is true. One way or another, we're getting the Deathly Hallows. Mm-hmm. 
Deathly Hallows works as a finale, and it's one of the f- a few finales that actually work to an epic series. And so one way or another, it's Deathly Hallows. So whether or not the MacGuffin or MacGuffins are Palpatine's Horcruxes or not, mm-hmm. I'm back up in the air on and it. Part of the reason I'm back up in the air on it is because I was convinced it was Vader's mask, and then we destroyed Vader's mask in a stupid, like the very first or second trailer. Now we've got a Sith dagger, and now it's like, I feel like they might do something lame again, like these are the maps, the keys to finding Palpatine, who's always survived in this, you know, he's just an old man in a bed or something like that. Right. A cripple. So anyhow, the first third is a buddy adventure film. You know, we open with some set you back on your heels stuff. The movie's going to open, it's going to set us on our heels from the very beginning. Abrams is going to come out of the gate with something absurd off the wall. We'll get Palpatine in the first scene. We'll get something freaky, something wild. We'll get a new force, power. We'll get something weird out of the gate. A vision. A vi- something crazy. Ray wakes up after seeing some kind of crazy Yeah, thing. we'll get Anakin's force ghost. We'll get something crazy like that right away. Ray's going to be training with Leia. Kylo Ren is going to be out on his quest to uh, consolidate the power of the First Order. Kylo Ren's very early going to run into Palpatine. Whatever quest they're on, they're going to interact in the second act. I think the first act has to do a decent amount of work to just say, hey, remember, these yes. guys like each other. That's they're, what I was. They're potent and they're likable and they're not like the lame people that Haldo looks down on that they were in the last one, but they're the fun loving adventurers that they yeah, were in, yeah. in Force Awakens. Yeah, that's so that is when I say buddy adventure first act, that's really what it is. It's Let's like, reclaim some of that chemistry yeah, that Ryan Johnson, for better or worse, just didn't focus on. Special about all of these characters that we love about them. And they've all grown. And, you know, now Poe has learned his lesson and he's been disciplined and he knows to value the right things. And he's a great, awesome leader. And, and he and Ray are friends. I mean, they only yeah. just shook hands and met at yeah. the end of Last Jedi. They're friends. They're on the same page. They're doing the Leia thing. Leia's going to die and disappear. Luke's force ghost is going to like, Luke's going to be in and out of this whole stupid movie. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. In case we were, because this was going to be the most fan service movie ever. They're all on an adventure. They're all finding stuff. Act two, our friends who aren't named Ray are going to go muster an army for the final battle. The spark that lights the fire that brings down the First Order. Yeah. Ray and Rin are going to fight. Ray's going to tap into some dark side powers. Is this the fight from the trailer, the on top of the Death I'm think, Star? I'm thinking it might be. I think the fact that they are advertising it so much almost certainly places it in the second act because what you do is you save your actual climax and you don't advertise it or if you do advertise it you disguise it yeah you don't just blatantly give away the climax almost certainly not that, that's that's a definitely a second act fight it's the big action set piece from the middle and so what happens i think in that fight is he antagonizes her maybe she taps into some dark side stuff uses some anger defeats him kills or nearly kills that doesn't kill but nearly kills him maybe mm-hmm. freaks out walks away at some point has a vision of dark side ray in the process he has a vision about the same time so in parallel she gets freaked out by the dark side he gets freaked out he returns to the light side they team up against palpatine together they come back the battle is happening and we basically get the final last jedi 
Return of the Jedi. Or, yeah, sorry. Is yeah, what you meant. Not, yeah. yeah, Return of the Jedi. Yep. We get the Return of the Jedi. We're in the Emperor's new throne room with the throne from the original concept drawings. The battle is overhead and Palpatine is wicked, crazy, powerful or something or siphoning wicked, crazy powerfulness from I don't know what. And what we said in our predictions is at the end of the day, love is what's going to win. Yes, that, right? that I think and it'll is... be Leia's love that saves Ben Solo. It'll be Leia's love that protects Ray. It'll be Leia, whatever Leia's love. Carrie Fisher's dead. We're all sad about that. Let's be nostalgic about. Her. Yeah, and and let's use the exact thing from Harry Potter where Lily Potter's love is what protects. Mm-hmm. That'll come through in the final act. Ray is one way or another a Palpatine. She can be a Palpatine by. In the same way that all Skywalkers are Palpatines. Right. Because in case anybody didn't know, it is officially canon that Palpatine created Darth Vader using dark side magic, Darth Plagueis style magic with... Shmi Skywalker. Shmi Skywalker. So all of these Skywalkers, they exist because Palpatine created Darth Vader. Um, So either she's a dark side creation of Palpatines, she's a clone of Palpatine, or she's a literal descendant of Palpatine. That's going to play into how this all ends. So she would be like a granddaughter or something like that. I think the idea of Palpatine having kids is weird. It's and I, super I weird. think the idea of clones is just something that people won't like for whatever reason. And that JJ I think they'll Abrams- stay away from clones for that reason. Even though the Mandalorian is not for no reason mm-hmm. bringing clones back into, and cloning tech back into our the forefront of our minds in a way that is likable and lovable. Mm-hmm. And you have to factor that into this, how the suits are playing everything. So if people aren't dragging with what Jake's saying, you're just assuming that Baby Yoda is a clone. Or the what people want to do is clone Baby Yoda. Right. One, one way two. or another. If what they want to do is clone Baby Yoda, then that doesn't make cloning very lovable. That makes cloning threatening and mechanical and cold and something that only an idiot evil guy like Werner Herzog think, would do. I think that they want to clone Baby Yoda. I think that Baby Yoda exists. They don't know how, or maybe somebody does. But, you know, that one scene about extracting the necessary materials, you know, from the Mandalorian, what they want is to clone Baby Yoda. Because mm-hmm. if Baby Yoda is a clone, then somewhere the materials ex- exist. Now, maybe they've been destroyed Baby Yoda has been around for 50 years. Baby Yoda was born the same year that Anakin Skywalker was born. That's pretty fascinating. Some deep dive facts for you guys. Mm-hmm. So yeah, who knows? I, th- I think that Baby Yoda being born the same year Anakin Skywalker was created by Palpatine is uh, an indication that Baby Yoda was born. Anyhow, at the end of the day, it could get down to what I had a dream about, which is dumb exposition about where Palpatine's like, I puzzled over what it was, why I couldn't turn Luke, and why Vader turned on me mm-hmm. and favored. And what I discovered was I needed a, a blood connection, and that's what I have with you, Ray. Actually, Palpatine, you never understood because it's the one thing you never had. Love. Love, love was the connection. I think that's almost certainly, certainly what's going to happen. It's almost certainly what's going to happen. And I, I always hated Harry Potter because, yeah, Lily's love saved him, but then the final confrontation... It's just a mechanical sort of plot. Oh, your wand's been reversed, Voldemort. You better not use it. There's nothing inherent in Voldemort's evil that has set him up. I mean, there kind of is, but it's not. No, you saying that just tells, told me something. What's that? And you're going to hate me for saying it. 
Is this the thing where you tell me exactly what they're going to do and I hate you? Is this happening on live, folks? Yeah. The lightsabers are the wands. And it's so dumb. And R2D2 is going to have Luke's green lightsaber. Mm-hmm. And she's going to have Leia's lightsaber. And she's going to like deflect Palpatine's lightning back into him off of the protective love lightsabers, just like the wands of Harry Potter. This is going to be exactly be the don't try it, Tom thing. It was stupid in Harry Potter, and it's, it's stupid exactly here. what they're going to do. <laughs> I'm sorry, my bet lightsabers me. have been bet me. It's going to be the lightsabers. It's going to be the lightsabers. It will be. She will not actively kill him. She will protect herself, and it will deflect his lightning or something. But like, she won't go behead him. She won't put a lightsaber through him. She will be protected by the lightsabers of love in a weird way. I, you bet me. I'm not going to bet, bet you. Me. I'm not because <laughs> I don't want to lose. And you're probably right. Nobody wants to see Ray behead Palpatine. It's mean and it's, that's right. it's cruel. She, it, well, Palpatine's and own that's what the dark last magic Jedi has, has to reband, up. rebound. He has to be the author of his own undoing. Right. And it has to be love and protecting the things we love. Maybe he'll, Ben Solo will be on the ground dying and he'll like start to force lightning him and she'll jump in front mm-hmm. with both lightsabers, you know. Well, if it's two lightsabers, why shouldn't Ben have one and she have the other? And it's right, they're, exactly. they're, 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 they're two Forget loves R2-D2. combined. Forget R2-D2. Yeah. He's thrown away his red lightsaber. He's using Luke's green lightsaber. She's using Leia's lightsaber. And then Ben's tried to sacrifice himself for her or something like that. He's lying on the ground. Mm-hmm. And she jumps in front with the one. She force pulls the other, forms the, the cross or the X. Mm-hmm. It rebounds. He's destroyed. Ben is also dead, by the way. Ben's not surviving. He is Snape. Yeah, you know, he's not he's not surviving the movie. He's not surviving this movie. Ray's the only one that walks away. Our force ghosts appearance when Doctor Strange op- opens the portals, mm-hmm. our force ghosts are only there to support Ray. Ray's gonna have to do it. Her- a thousand generations live in, in you now, but mm-hmm. this is your fight. It's gonna have to be Ray. They're not going to let our guys be awesome. We only see skywalkers we will hear yoda we'll hear obi-wan if they're smart we'll hear ahsoka tano we might hear kanan jarrus or ezra bridger if they're smart and i say if they're smart because my kids don't give a rip about this new trilogy they don't care when we watched the trailer where they had the ship scene i hit pause on our tv and I said, what do you guys see? And they're like, the Millennium Falcon. I said, what else do you see? And then instantly, they spotted the ghost from the TV show Rebels, and they lost their minds. It was the most excited they've been about anything live-action Star Wars, period. The idea that the ghost, which is the ship from Star Wars Rebels, is in this movie, that they want to see the movie because of that. Mm-hmm. If you could just give a hat tip to Ahsoka, let her voice clearly be calling to Rey. The Force will be with you. Rise up, Rey, or was it Rise of Skywalker. Force awakens, wake up, awake, whatever, mm-hmm. something, I don't know. Arise, my Rey, arise. <laughs> Take off <laughs> your guilty fears. Yeah, no, there's going to be some, you know, Rey's going to be at the very edge. Everybody's going to be like, oh man, here comes the Ghostbusters 2 reference that I keep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ray's like staring at the painting and in, mm-hmm. in Ghostbusters too. Yes, St- Ray, as played by 
Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, not Daisy Ridley. This is what yeah. confused people last time you brought this up. Yeah. <laughs> Staring at the, yes, yeah. yeah, almost going to go, going to be the, and then Ray, 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 I, Ray, am Vigo. Mm-hmm. Vigo, the Carpathian. And then they call her back, brink of something. Or, you know, she's going to be down and out. But it's, the, it's just still the Harry Potter formula. He exactly. dies and then he gets to hang out with his mentor and find out how great his parents were. And then he comes back and finishes the job. Yeah. Um, he, he's walking to his doom and he uses the the stone and he walks to his doom with the force ghosts. The part of the hero's journey where the hero dies before they're resurrected is the part where we'll get some cameos from our old favorites, which I think is crap. I don't care about Ray. I don't think anybody cares about Ray. I think this movie would make millions of extra dollars if you just had Ewan McGregor show up and cut off Palpatine's head. Or something dumb like that that yes negates the importance of Can the other Yoda two movies. Come out of the the void as a force ghost, draw a lightsaber to himself, do some flips, and yeah. finally finish his fight with Sidious. Yeah, that would be cool. That and, and and I think the movie makes more money that way. I think actually the most cynical businessman might be able to put together a better movie than someone who cares about the, the Star Wars because they've. This is the sunk cost fallacy, though. They've that is why they had to kill both Snoke and Luke. My contention was we don't care enough about these characters and so we have to clear the decks for them and for the next movie to be their movie. Yeah, but that's more sunk cost. I mean, they're going to... I know, three, I know, but they're all in. Throw more. They're it's all it's in. like Ray going they're, into that hole. They're, they're, they're just throwing more money. They're all in. They need people to buy into Ray. They're not going to give up on Ray being the hero of this story. People will Ray's never walk away, care about Ray. And she's going to be the founder of a new order she is going to walk. We're, that won't even be the final scene. The final scene will be like Ray standing triumphantly over a new Jedi temple with Luke and Leia and Anakin's Force Ghosts in the background. To paraphrase a line from Luke Skywalker in the very movie that we're ostensibly here to discuss, the legacy of Lucasfilm is failure, hypocrisy, and hubris. I thought you were going to say amazing. Every word you just said was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. <laughs> that that would have been good too. Maybe I'll be saying that afterwards. I doubt it though. I don't think you will. Oh uh, boy, I just don't care about these characters. I'm just going to for the 9000th time I'm going to pitch my ending. They've got the Darth Vader suit and actually the paint has chipped off, so it's like kind of white now. And it gets <laughs> it gets, it gets inhabited by Anakin. And then Darth Vader comes back and he cuts off Palpatine's head and Yoda's backing him up and Luke Skywalker's backing him up. It's awesome. New force powers. We're going to see one or two or three. They won't be good. This whole trilogy has had lame new force powers. Not uh, The first one, I thought the force freeze of the light laser bolt was awesome. Yeah, but the new one was like... Uh, astral projection. Astral projection. Yeah, great. Well, and also the mind bridging stuff. Well, and Yoda can do lightning and healing. Some, How about healing? Baby Yoda wanted to heal instinctively, intuitively wanted to heal Mando several times, and it made me wonder if they were tipping their hand to uh, force healing. New new force powers are resurrection. Actually, Ray dies and she comes back, or she Harry Potter's in the Harry Potter the way that she Harry Potter's is through the force one way or another. The dark side is a path to many powers some might consider unnatural light side doesn't reverse nature yeah but that's why you have to actually combine the two balance. i don't know if you're going with the harry the potter this is, this is exactly is the balance this is what jk Love rowling is would do this is what jk rowling would do she would have 
Harry do all kinds of unnatural things, but they're good when he does them because he's Harry Potter and love and friendship are sanctifying what but they're better than that which they proved in the last jedi which we're going to talk about Boom. Should, we, should we talk about it eventually but i want to say that love is the balance it's not a balance of dark side light side powers but love balances the dark side and the light side love balances the force the problem with the way the jedi so the dark side and the light side were always stupid constructs that's right they were stupid constructs the dark side is the dark side because it is a full-on selfish giving in to your passions the light side's the light side because it's has selflessness at the root, but it is also a denial of good passions. And balance is love. It's, it's basically C.S. Lewis taking down altruism is the answer. Of course, the Jedi were better because they were, in a way, they were better because of their altruism. But the actual path forward is death to altruism, love, not selflessness, not a denial of all good passions. The one leads to the other. It's why Anakin could not control his passions, couldn't empty himself of them, and wasn't allowed to have them in a healthy way, so he just flipped to the dark side and indulged them. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. The only hesitation I have about going there with you is that that actually sounds like a good idea, I think. (laughs) And they're just not that good. They're just not that good. Abrams has been averse to paying off the prequels. I mean, he's done exactly one movie, but Force Awakens feels like a movie that's averse paying off what's good about the prequels. I think the suits have realized since The Force Awakens came out that the prequels are good. And that's part of what's good about The Mandalorian is that it doesn't ignore all that lore. But I still think J.J. Abrams just, I I don't know if he knows that the Jedi suck. I don't know if he's willing to go there with Ryan Johnson. I think Ryan Johnson actually, for all his faults that we may or may not talk about, knows that the Jedi suck. I'm not sure J.J. Abrams knows that the Jedi suck or wants to give that to the prequels. At least one suit, if we can call him a suit. Knows that the Jedi suck. Well, he wears a cowboy hat, so I don't know if we can call him a suit because he's a man of the people and people like to cosplay as him. And uh, yeah, I like him, but it's also he's funny. He's a pretty likable guy. Yeah, he's he's very likable, but I'm also going to make fun of that because that's his brand. and It's very much his brand. It deserves to be made fun of on some level. Where Dave, Jake, of course, is talking about Dave Filoni, the creator of all that's good in Star Wars. Yep. Hey, we should talk about The Last Jedi. So Last Jedi, do you remember? I remember not being excited about this movie. I remember the trailers being okay, but not having the kind of goodwill going into this that we did for the first uh, order, not the first order, the Force Awakens. I remember Take me back to all the way to 2017, Jake. I remember the first trailer ending with Luke saying it's time for the Jedi to end. Okay, let me revise my statement. I remember that trailer being cool and then the last Jedi is red and that was cool. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's the power of Star Wars iconography is that just by turning something, a title red, you can say a lot. Then I remember the second trailer ends with Kylo putting out his hand like as if Rey's going to join the dark side. And that sucked. That was lame because they're not going to do that. Yeah. And or, they, they told us right then and there that that's not what's going to happen. Right. The one thing, if you are going to do that, the one thing you do is don't put that moment in the trailer. Yep. If you're not going to do that, then... The one thing you do is you do put that moment in the trailer to kind of play with it, the audience. Yeah. But that just felt like an annoying cheat when they put it in the trailer. Is Ray going to the dark side? Put no hint of it in a trailer. Is Ray not going to the dark side? Let's have a force vision where Ray is full on dark side and we get to see dark Ray and let's drop a fraction of a second of it into a trailer. 
Yeah. So that people will lose their minds and it'll trend on Twitter for hours. Or we're reading a book called The Moon and Sixpence in the Booking next year. And I always look for vintage cover art to put in when we uh, release the books. Just It's just a fun thing. I find vintage covered art, art to put in our little article that has our book list. And I ca- came across all this salacious cover art, half-naked women, which, I, which has happened to me before because like in the 1950s and 60s, when they did these stupid book covers, or maybe even before that, 40s and 50s, they were always trying to be like, this is an exciting book for men to read. There's sexy girls in it. And the one thing you know about those books is they're not that interesting or salacious. Whatever else they are, they're not that. They might have some content that was salacious for the time, but they're not. That's not what the book is. This just felt like that. It just felt like, oh, that's what an advertiser would do to try and make you think that you got to see this movie. Will Ray go to the dark side? Well, no. No, she's not. And they also played a lot with will Kylo Ren blow up Leia in the trailer? Which, yeah. Same thing. Oh, well, I guess he's not going to kill her there at least because otherwise they wouldn't be showing us. And so that trailer kind of sucked the life out of it a little bit. Then the movie came out. And what did you think about the movie when you first saw it? There's a good record of this, but I don't want to go back and listen to it. Oh, from the booking. Yeah. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Xmas. Star Star Wars Wars is is over. over. Yeah. You actually hear us. That's actually a fun episode to listen to because we never intended it to be a Star Wars episode. We just started talking about Star Wars and an hour later we were like, oh, well, I guess we might as well make this into an episode. That's why you can hear Jake eat tortilla chips on that episode because the whole time we think we're not doing an episode and then it turns out. So if you want to hear just like raw, unfiltered Last Jedi take, that's a good place for it. And hear what it sounds like when Jake eats tortilla chips. Oh. Great episode for that. Yeah. And hear Brandon be like, eh, Star Wars doesn't matter. And then by, by the end, be like, eh, it kind of matters. What I remember thinking walking out of the theater was that was the Star Wars movie, the Star Wars movie, the most Star Warsy Star Wars movie, the first Star Wars movie to evoke the feeling of Star Wars. And it trashed Star Wars. And I hate it. See, I don't remember my thoughts being quite that clear because I, uh, I think I, that's exactly my thought as articulated. This is the most Star Warsy Star Wars movie I've ever seen, and I hate it. I don't think I said I hate it because the experience of watching it was really enjoyable because nothing had felt like Star Wars. I mean, not Rogue One, not anything. This movie felt so Star Warsy, and it was such a nostalgia blast in a way that I think The Mandalorian is doing an even better job now. But this movie just had so much of that feeling and i would even argue things like canto bite are a good part of evoking that feeling because it's like a new world it's what lucas always did it might be the dumb casino planet but at least it's something you haven't seen before it just felt like such a good star wars movie and so walking out of the theater i had two thoughts and i didn't know quite how to put them together and the first thought was that was a great star wars movie and the second thought is i have absolutely no desire to see that again which is very strange Like, I have friends that I know are going to be seeing it tomorrow. We're all seeing it this weekend. I could probably get in on another viewing, and I have no desire to do that, which is is pretty weird. Uh, You know, like Rogue One, like, you wanted to see that hallway scene with Darth Vader a million times. So I turned around, and I saw that movie pretty quick. And, you know, I'm an adult. I don't usually see a movie in the theater again. But Rogue One, I wanted to, and I did. Didn't want to see it again. And then... To be fair, you had Movie Pass back then. Yeah, Movie Pass was a thing back then. That is true. $5 a month, unlimited viewings. Yep. $10 $10 a month on limited viewings, wasn't it? Maybe. Yeah, it wasn't $5 a month. That would be I even crazy. $5 a month. $5 a month would be even crazier than what it was, but it was crazy. Didn't want to see it again and wasn't interested in seeing 
the next one. Didn't have any burning question about where it was going to go. And that felt very strange. And then, you know, everybody- We very quickly knew that they were going to have to bring back Palpatine. It was sort of anticlimactic in a way. Oh, yeah. I wish we had that on record. And the frustrating thing is I know we said that on mic and it's probably buried in some random bookending episode or something. I wish we could find that. Not that anyone would care at this point. It would have been nice to have it back when the first trailer came out or something like that. But yeah, obviously they had to bring Palpatine back. And the reason obviously they had to bring Palpatine back was because every narrative avenue and every burning question had been cut off by what Last Jedi did. And so the only way to make the series still interesting and compelling was to tie it into a bigger story yep. that they really hadn't been tying it in to. So I don't know. I just, I thought this movie was weird and I never, I had not watched it again since it first came out. And that's very strange. You know, usually you just end up seeing these things more than once. You know, if you're somebody who's into those things, you've got friends and kids and things and, you know, there's like a reason to see it more than once. My big picture take on this thing now is that people are going to retroactively love it like they did Empire Strikes Back because Abrams is going to save it. He's going to save the whole thing in people's minds. They're going to want it to be good so bad that they're going to accept it all. I don't think that's possible. I think and they're going to think they're going to think that the last Jedi was the movie that made it all possible and the one that made it all happen and they're going to be saying I told you so. They're going to be people that jump out of the woodwork who didn't say a word positive. We're going to be like, I told you so, just like the Empire Strikes Back. Everybody hated it and y'all were stupid, just like everybody was stupid when Empire came out. Oh, you know, greatest warrior, one of the greatest warriors and force wielders of all time does nothing but give some grumpy lessons and then disappears. Sounds a lot like the plot to Empire Strikes Back. Ha, gotcha, you know, and... Um, Those people are bantha fodder. I, I, that's that's not true. That doesn't... The Force Awakens actually moves the ball down the field. Luke figures out things about himself and about who the Force is. Han and Leia figure out things about themselves and about what they are. We figure New Hope. Sorry, Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes, Empire Strikes, Strikes Back. Back has a lot of stuff happen and then leaves a lot of burning questions, which is what a good middle chapter should do. Oh, now Han and Leia are in love, but Han is frozen in carbonite. Oh, now Luke. Darth Vader is probably Luke's father. Wow, how does that change things? This is crazy. I got to see this next one to find out what's going to happen. Last Jedi, you have a band of rebels that is on the run from the bad guys at the beginning. At the end, a band of rebels is on the run from the bad guys. Ray learns that she's a nobody from nowhere and doesn't have a special daddy. Needs to figure out how to be just the best version of Ray that she can be. Poe figures out and learns that, hey, blowing up stuff and being the hero at great cost. Are you being devil's advocate here, or do you actually, actually believe this? I'm, I'm because I don't care about you, any of these lessons. These are stupid lessons. I'm telling lessons. you what the lessons actually are. It's not just what they think. It's what the le- it is the lessons that these characters have learned. Okay. Whether they're good lessons or not is another question. Poe learns that it doesn't matter if he's good at blowing things up. Sometimes the cost is too high, and sometimes... You have to value the lives of the people on your team more than blowing something up. That's like so a closed circuit lesson, though. It, he get, he ends up getting the entire resistance destroyed. First, he gets all the bombers destroyed in the attack on the Dreadnought. Then with his harebrained plan, after he gets demoted, he gets everybody else destroyed because it ends up leading to them finding out about the whole escape pod to crate. 
So here's the problem with all those lessons. Finn has to learn the lesson that, you know, we don't win by destroying the things we hate, but by saving the things we love. So so here's here's the equivalent. Empire Strikes Back, Han and Han <laughs> decides to start smoking death sticks, and by the end of Empire Strikes Back, he's quit. He is no longer smoking death sticks. And guess where that puts him? Exactly where he was at the end of New Hope. All these characters learn lessons that we could have functionally accepted that they already knew at the end of Force Awakens. Oh, raise a nobody that needs to learn to be a good Force user. Guess what? That's exactly where we left her at the end of Force Awakens. Oh, Poe's a cool commander flyboy. Ryan Johnson introduces some complications to that and then gets us back where we already accepted that Poe was. Oh, Finn's just a cool guy that's along for the ride and wants to do what's necessary. These are all closed loops that are introduced and closed in Last Jedi. And it is flawed storytelling for a trilogy because it doesn't actually, the only thing that's interesting, vaguely interesting that happens in this movie is that number one, Snoke dies, but in so, do- in, in so doing, he shows that he never really mattered that much anyway. So net gain for story, net loss for story, kind of zero. Okay. It, it cleared a irrelevant piece off the table. And it cleared another irrelevant piece off the table. And that irrelevant piece was Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker, who we find out isn't interesting, doesn't have anything to pass on. Actually, he does have something to pass on. He has something very important to pass on, which is that failure. The the but weakness. Then he doesn't pass that on because Ray does not learn the lesson and take Kylo's hand, which is what I actually hate about this movie. The the movie tells you and makes you feel very profoundly that the Jedi suck, that the old ways suck, that we need to move past them, that the old movies were all a mistake. It does a pretty good job of that. It goes right up to the edge, and then it but it's not allowed. It's out. not allowed to. Yeah, but I don't give it any credit for that. If you're not allowed to do it, then don't, don't walk up do to it. the edge. Yeah, Don't walk up to the edge. I, I give Ryan Johnson zero credit for playing with doing something that Kathleen Kennedy was never going to allow him to do. If you're not allowed to do it, then, then just do the good version of what what the trilogy actually is. Right. It's it, it's an incredibly compelling and fun idea, I think, that the light and dark are stupid and that actually we need to embrace We need a new paradigm. A new paradigm. But guess what embracing a new paradigm means? It means Star Wars is done. It means it's the force over. is fixed. It means and no more action figures, no more money. You can't go back. You can't go back and tell old stories and you can't really tell new stories. Right. Because it turns out that Qui-Gon Jinn was an idiot. Actually, he was kind of smart because he was always He was one of the only rebellious. smart ones, yeah. But yeah, bad, bad pull there, Nathan. But, you know, Yoda was an idiot. Everybody was an idiot. Everybody was an idiot. And if you go try, if you try to go back to the old Republic and tell old stories of Jedi and Sith, then... It's just like, let's watch these people play in the sand while we know that there are adults that have actually moved past this. Yeah. Let's, let's watch them fight each other with sticks when actually what they need to do is... And sometimes watching people fight each other with sticks is fun. It's sort of like, I mean, you can still have a medieval action movie and know that tanks and fighter jets exist. But to remove good versus evil, essentially, <laughs> from Star Wars is to end Star Wars. I think that's a pretty bold thing to do, actually. Or to say, we have to transcend it. And, and I'm not, understand, there might be Christians that are listening and are saying, Nathan, are you saying good and evil? Aren't? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying in storytelling terms, he wanted to do something bold, or he at least wanted to play with the idea of doing something bold. Then the movie wimps out. I think it's disappointing. And I think it makes this movie feel like 
a series of closed loops where characters do things, land back in the place. Like, okay, Poe's pose a good cocky, f- guess what? Poe's going to be a cocky fly boy who takes major risks in Rise of Skywalker. That's who his character was designed to be. But he's going to take those risks in a sober, calculated way. He, he's going to take those risks he, in a way that he, the movie is going to tell us is sober and calculated, but actually, they'll just be the same risks that he always would have taken. The movie will just sit, pat us on the back and say, well, now he's a good leader, so I guess ch- these risks ch- are sober. But they'll be the same <laughs> risks. He will do the exact same things. He will function as the exact same character that he always would have functioned as. Yeah, but he pulls, the movie will- he pulls back all those speeders at the end of The Last Jedi, because he knows that they're all just going to get picked off. Yay! And so then Leia is like, what are you looking at me for? He's the leader. You know, I'd stand up and give him a standing ovation, but people wouldn't be able to hear because I'd be standing away from my microphone. <laughs> so <laughs> it feels so arbitrary, you know? <laughs> it's like, okay, now Poe's doing the thing that the movie tells us is right, but I'm not, I don't really feel like like any idiot would know to find a back way out of that thing and that it isn't. But he, he did, and he's not unmanned finally by Leia. Leia's like, He's the leader I knew he would be. He's the man. Follow the man. Yeah. It's, this movie is a triumph for male empowerment. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Why don't we just talk through it? I think that's the only way to solve this problem. We'll talk through it, and our listeners will figure out whether Jake's being devil's advocate or the First Order's advocate, we should say. So, we start- Oh, like, come on. They know I'm being a little devil. They've heard me on this <laughs> They know before. you're being a little devil. Jake, that little devil. Uh, a little Sith Lord. All right, let's 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 talk through it. Uh, yes, of course he is, uh, guys. We're just having fun. The first order reigns. That's the title crawl. Bum. Can I make a bold statement? Yeah. This might be the best title crawl. Title crawl. It is the best title. I thought the same exact same thought. It's uh, just a, there's there's no howlers like there are heroes on both sides. Like George Lucas, for all his virtues, didn't really know how to write. A good cr- title crawl, especially in those prequels. But this is just this like, is the best title crawl. I it's had the succinct. Same thought. I, what I actually thought is how difficult it must be to write a good title crawl because it's like it's like writing. I think I saw George Lucas say it's like writing a haiku, and that actually makes sense. Like you've got to get all this information packed in. When you and I know we write like letters for fundraising and stuff. Yeah, trying to write the simplest things like that that just sum up everything. Much more difficult than it appears. Much more difficult than it appears and much more difficult than writing something complicated. Yeah. You, you could write a whole scene where you set all that up and people are coming into the room and they're saying things. That's actually a lot easier to write than to condense it all down into... A page. Yeah, a page, a couple paragraphs yep. that instantly place the audience where they need to be. Then we get to this opening scene where they they're are... They're evacuating. They're evacuating. That's cool. Why is that cool? It's cool because they've got this line of transports going from all the way to this planet surface to the upper atmosphere. Mm-hmm. We see this uh, evacuation first from the stars, all these shuttles going up, going up, going up. And then we, boom, we zoom down to the planet. We see the shuttles going up. And then from the surface of the planet, we see the Star Destroyers zoom in out of light speed into the upper atmosphere of the planet. Yeah, why does that evoke such emotion in me why is that it's so much super so cool idea even if the physics of it just in terms of perspective oh yeah i know don't really work. said like rogue one if, if the death star was that close and that big in the atmosphere it would be throwing the gravitational pull of the blah 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 okay physicist well you- also people can't breathe in space so why wasn't why didn't leia implode and uh, yeah and yeah it's, yeah it's a fairy yeah, tale yeah. yeah forget all that stuff I, you know th- it would have actually been so far away that you couldn't have possibly seen those 
Star Destroyer. Yeah, who cares? It was a cool shot. Yeah, and it evokes- And Ryan Johnson knew it was a cool shot. It evokes like airplanes and satellites, and we've all looked up at big, magnificent things in the sky. And so it's suddenly, similar to, we had this discussion a lot for Rogue One, it just puts you on the ground seeing a Star Destroyer the way you would see a Star Star Destroyer. It is super cool. In a way that- They're evacuating, all that's happening. Leia is laying, and then we get Poe Dameron, you know, a single fighter going up to Hux's Star Destroyer. I will say- And we get Hux in all of his glory. And then we, what do we do? We we deflate it with a little bit of a wisecrack. A <laughs> <laughs> little Marvel-esque- uh, It's a little Marvel-esque, but it was awesome. It was, in the theater, it was awesome. Were, were you aware, by the way, because I watched this with subtitles, because I don't know why the subtitles were on and I didn't bother to turn them off. He calls them hugs. No. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or the subtitle guy- Thought it would be funny. (laughs) Thought it would be funny. But yeah, he keeps calling him Hugs. And it sounds like he's calling him Hugs if you're reading along with him. Oh, that's funny. He's like, hey, can I talk to Hugs? So that was cute. (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) The other thing, I I actually read an article about this. Apparently, this is my nerdy bit of knowledge for the episode. I'll be the one to take a a nerd blow here instead of Jake. Like his, his, Hux's father is a famous Imperial instructor at at the Imperial Academy. And basically he had an affair with like a kitchen maid or something like that. Hux's mother is a real sore spot for Hux. Like his, his mom was a nobody, like redneck, dumb. Like he didn't, he does not want to be known for his mother. So Poe's being a little mean, a <laughs> little bit of hashtag bullying when he Aww. brings up Hux's mom. Poor baby Hux. Yeah. Hugs. Yep. Hugsy boy. <laughs> I thought that whole scene was really thrilling, really well written. Everything about the humor of it. I loved the admiral of the other ship we should have scrambled the fighters five minutes ago and mm-hmm. you know yeah that's he's fun... not he's not he's not trying to take us down you moron he's going for our surface cannons mm. like you know that's good stuff i will say it sucks that we're going to be reprim- we as an audience are going to be reprimanded by leia for liking this stuff later in the movie we're going to be told that we were dumb and that we should get our heads out of our cockpits which is a quote from the movie folks yeah but so i think that that might sort of uh, retroactively deflated a little bit. But I agree with you. This is one of the most thrilling sequences in the movie. It's probably, it might be the coolest. If I was going to go back and see this movie a second time in the theater, I would have seen it for this scene and one other scene, which is really controversial and we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. But I want to talk about those quips. I don't like those quips. They feel not, they feel not Star Wars to me. A, a Yo Mama joke is just too vulgar and mean, and it, it's in keeping with the slightly more vulgar, slightly more adult, slightly more mean spirit that this movie has. All through. All through. Sure. All these movies are trying to grow up in, uh, from you walking carpet. Right. And you and walking, that, that, is, that is the lineage, is you walking carpet, Leia being, especially Leia in A New Hope, just be, you came in that thing, you're braver than I thought. Yeah. The movie, A New Hope, in, in the middle section, gets really quippy. And it's, it's clippy and it's sarcastic. And if you actually think about it, you couldn't get away with calling a Star Wars character a walking, like Chewbacca, walking carpet. No, for one thing, it's racist against it's, Wookiees. For another exactly. thing, it's it's kind of taking you out of the world a little. It's having somebody kind of acknowledge, like, we've got a dumb guy in a Halloween exactly. costume in a way that they wouldn't do now, probably. So, I I don't know, man. I, I think... Hey, we're going to be quippy and sarcastic and have our hotshot pilot be quippy and sarcastic here out of the gate because that's who he is and that's what we love. He's going to be good at it. Like, yeah, I like that. It's normally the kind of, I mean, I love the Marvel, I love all Marvel quips except for when they're coming out of 
Brie Larson's mouth because I just find her unlikable. Sorry. Kind of when they're coming out of Doctor Strange's mouth. That's what I thought you were going to say. Because it just feels too much like we're going to do the Tony Stark template here. But Tony Stark, but uh, Doctor Strange, I will say, in the Avengers Endgame duology, I actually like him there. So if they can kind of keep that tone and have him be kind of funny, but not Tony exactly, and do a little bit of the master, mystic master of the mystic art kind of guy, too, I think that that would be good. I don't know. I just thought Poe... He crossed the line for me. Like, Star Wars is a combination He's got a of, stall. Yeah, I know. And it's like, you know, half of it's just like, holding, still here. Can you hear me? And you could argue he did the same thing with Kylo Ren. You talk first. Right. And who's on first routine. And, and that doesn't feel like it makes Kylo less scary. I, I guess maybe a little bit of why- You just felt bad for Hux and, or the fact, you just didn't like the fact that the Grand Moff Tarkin of this was pants. Well, yeah, Hux is going to be pants in the whole movie. One. Obviously, Ryan Johnson thought it was interesting or funny. Or his take on Hux is that the guy is is impotent, is impotent and stupid, and that's the whole movie. And then Hux kind of gets a bone throw to thrown to him when Kylo Ren becomes impotent and a screaming whiny jerk, and Hux is smiling as he stands behind him. You know, yeah. he's he's got a little bit of a sneer, like "Come on, Kylo, grow up." But then he gets gets like slammed against the side of the stupid. Yeah. So I get it, but it does make Hux not very scary. Well, it sets Hux up to either be redeemed or do something really nasty. Yeah, and that's something that J.J. Abrams movie. could weigh, could he's well. Gonna, he's going to play with it. Payoff is yeah, Hux, he'll, he'll Hux pay feels off. so emasculated. He he's going to turn. He will either become brutal because yep. he's you know he's going like, to do one torture or somebody that we love to death or something because he's just a because as storytellers we need to reclaim some scariness for this guy. To make him a and potent we're gonna villain. make his impotence play into his brutality, right? Like, which is how a lot of people like that actually work. Yeah, exactly. A so it will classic be, bully. It, yeah, it will be absolute brutality, or it'll be t- a turn, right? One way or the other. He's so but Abrams will put upon he, that he, will he actually he will pay it off. He actually does something to screw over the first order. What those, those would be the two options. Uh, those I, are, either way. Abrams will pay it off in a way that says, "You wondered why he's here. This is why he's here." Yes, and that's not. That's not us being smart. Those are just literally the only two good options that are you can't that are left. You can't do nothing with him. Right. You have to pay him off and prove that there was a reason for him to be there. There are only two good options. Right. One is obscene brutality, and the other is some kind of a turn, turning, turncoat kind of thing. The third option is to just ignore Last Jedi and just pretend like he's always been your Grand Marf, Moff Tarkin. That's not that a, doesn't work. That's, that doesn't work unless you just want to. Give a middle finger to Last Jedi and say that movie doesn't matter, but I don't think that they do. J.J. Abrams has certainly gone out of his way to go on record and say that's not what I want to do. I mean, he's literally given interviews where he said, "Ah, oh, they set me up for everything I need," and we had long conversations with Ryan as he was doing this. Anyway, I feel like Star Wars is always kind of straddling the line between irony and corny, sincere pageantry, and I sort of feel like somehow, for my money, you know, heaven knows I love irony and I love quippy characters in movies and i love tony stark but poe dameron just kind of somehow for me crosses the line there but i was with it i was with the first time i was with it the second time you have a good argument in that star wars if you if if folks really want to know do you know who invented the ironic action movie quip who james bond Uh, of course of course in dr no they actually discovered and you can hear the makers of that movie when they were alive they talked about it we had him say one funny thing after a bad guy died he made some dry quip and the audience loved, loved it. it and we decided that's his thing he's got to have a thing every time like every if he throws the toaster into the bad guy who's 
struggling for his gun in the bathtub, he's going to say shocking. That's that's going to be James Bond's thing. And that's 62, I think. And then you've got Dirty Harry in the early 70s. Clint Eastwood really perfected that. He's always got his go on punk, make my day. Like the whole charm of those movies is the dry humor that he brings to it. And then Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars, uh, that's the the devil's advocate. That's, That's Jake's argument is Star Wars really helped invent the cocky, ironic, attitude towards i mean before jj yeah, and this is it this is it all before joss whedon up. before yeah. any of that stuff um, it belongs more to star wars than it does to marvel yes it does but marvel's learned how to do it really effectively and not undermine than the so you're just Thanos. gonna say marvel's not allowed to do it no marvel's allowed to do it they didn't do it to kylo ren or snoke they just did it to hux i don't know we'll get there with kylo ren i mean snoke unmanned him but that's not the same thing the other thing that's probably worth talking about in this opening scene is just the obvious egalitarian we're gonna have different creatures we're gonna have women and we're gonna have people of different races and we will see them as much if not more than we see white males flying these ships and and only one person is allowed to make a sacrifice in this scene everybody dies but one person's allowed to make a sacrifice and it's gonna be a minority woman yeah which is gonna be a theme that recurs it's only going to be women that are allowed to make sacrifices in this movie right and we're going to have until uh, luke you have actually three cases of of male characters who are trying to do something glorious and they get blocked yeah you've got obviously the big one is that we'll talk about is finn at the end tries to sacrifice himself and rose is just like nope not gonna do it yeah then there's also uh what's his face Poe says, permission to get in a ship and blow something up? And Leia's like, yes, of course. And he goes running towards his ship. And, and his gets, ship gets blown up. And he's just like a moron, gets blown back. And like, yeah. oh, well, I guess I can't do that. And then the exact same thing happens to Luke. For some dumb script reason, he decides, I really do have to save those books that I've been grouchy about. And yeah. then the thing gets blown up and Luke gets blown back like a moron. That's what happens. Well, that's because Ray already saved them. That's because Ray already saved them. It's like them. Leia was already going to save the day. Yep. Just like love was already going to save the day. Because it's not about fighting the things we hate, Jake. It's about... Saving the things we love. Saving the things we love. That's how we're going to win. As if those two things are somehow mutually exclusive. It's the dumbest... If you want proof that Ryan Johnson's a moron, I mean, for all the smart things about this film and other films that he's made, Mm -hmm. is there a more philosophically weak idea than you can somehow protect the things that you love without fighting the things that threaten to destroy them like what the heck well we're not we're not fighting the nazis to use the obvious example jake we're protecting the things that we love we're protecting western civilization oh but you still gotta shoot bullets towards the nazis and like drop bombs on their stuff (laughs) still requires some sacrifice (laughs) right i mean what's why is it different when holdo does it she was protecting what she loved because what she loved was going towards the um planet yeah but finn was protecting what he loved because that battering cannon was going to blow open a hole in the door and they were all going to die unless the cannon got destroyed so he was going to destroy the cannon no he was an idiot sacrificially he was trying to destroy he was trying to destroy what he hated holdo was protecting what she loved so it's just about the feels of it yeah uh, and it actually turns out, I think, that women are better at protecting what they love. Well, they're better at the feels of it. Men are more like, they like to destroy what they hate. That's one thing that the movie got right. Yeah, it did. Actually, I'll say this, and we'll get to this when we talk about Holdo. I think the movie does a great job of portraying things very accurately <laughs> about the Are relationships between men and women. 
it may or may not land on the wrong side of what it thinks is virtuous about those things. Yeah. But I think it actually gets at some truths. The so this Asian woman she she grabs the that's a great scene by the way she's kicking the thing and when the, she's kicking the I thing cried. that's a Hitchcockian suspense like set up yeah. the thing uh, and then you know we have a problem we tell the uh, this is what I like in action cinema this is why I don't like born movies this is why I do like good movies you tell the audience what the character needs to accomplish the audience is in on it and then you watch the character try and struggle and do different things and it's called suspense and it's a wonderful feeling that cinema can evoke about as well as any art form and it just sucks when action filmmakers are too busy here's stuff it's blowing up it's interesting it's like no show us what's gonna happen show us what needs to happen highlight the discrepancy between what needs to happen and what is happening that's quality filmmaking right there it's great great scene and I teared up a little bit too. I and teared the, up. The controller. I, I, said it, I cried. I, I just meant I teared up. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like. I thought it was a little. It is a little over the top to let the controller go past her before she grabs. It. Oh, I liked that. I, I just think, yeah, it's cheesy and it's on the nose. But if you're gonna play with people, just play with them. There's a way that you can stretch that kind of thing to the where it's where, it's, where it becomes self parody. But in that case, it's just like, ah, see, I made you think it was gonna fall. Isn't we're having fun here, right, folks? That's what that feels like to me. And it is fun. And she blows up. And our first woman character has sacrificed herself. Clearly for the things that she loves, she grabs her neck pendant. Yeah. Well, that's what women do. They sacrifice themselves for the things that they love. Maybe I'm a sexist pig, but I actually think Ryan Johnson wants me to feel like this. When a woman gets blown up, I feel worse than when a man gets blown up. That's because you should. The reason why men are the ones that should be blown up is because men are expendable. Right. And women are life givers that deserve and require our protection. And so you should feel worse. Yeah. It's a horrible thing. If it comes, you know, it's like what Lewis wrote, you know, it's a a terrible thing for a woman to to have to to be in battle, right? which isn't to say that there isn't a place in a last line of defense sort of way where women have to fight. Like if they come for the children, right. You know, and they get through dad, mom's got to fight. And it isn't to say that every mom would just be blubbering in the corner while the bad guy took the children. children. I'm pretty sure we're both married to women who would grab a knife and go for it. Go for it. I think so. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't step back and let us go for it first. And it doesn't mean that it's not a more horrible, sad and awful sacrifice when it's asked of mom than when it's asked of dad. Well, the thing about that, though, is the interesting thing is I think Ryan Johnson and filmmakers like him on some weird intuitive level because they can't escape the creation reality. They know it and they play with your emotions. Like the fact that it's this Asian woman who's who's dying draws you in and makes you more sad and more involved in the scene than you would be if it was some dude. Yeah. And it is actually quite effective, but it's effective precisely because of realities that Ryan Johnson and his compatriots would like to deny. Yep. He would rather that we just say, oh, well, this is the same scene as it would be if a man. No, if it's a man, if you swap out actors and you put a man in that scene, it is still emotionally evocative, but it's different. It's, it's just, different. it feels more like, ah, well, he's doing what he needs to. It's, it's, it, we are, if we shed yeah, tears, it's, 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 we're it's shedding more t- ennobling. Yeah. Right. Because we are shedding tears because somebody's being heroic instead of because someone's being taken advantage of or something like that. I don't know quite how to verbally articulate the difference, but I don't feel bad about asking a man to do that. Right. 
I feel bad about the movie asking a woman to do that. I don't feel bad for the man who does that. Right. I feel, what a way to go. But I feel bad for the woman who's in that position. Which actually helps Brian Johnson make one of his other points, which is that war is hell. You know, war. there's these war profiteers and Star Wars has never thought that war is hell. Star Wars has always been about how awesome war is. Star Star Wars. Like, how cool would it be if it was war, but in the stars? Right. (laughs) (laughs) That would be cool. Let's do that. (laughs) And and once you go, you start to be- wants to be at war in the stars. Yeah. And once you make a movie past Return of the Jedi, you're kind of tacitly admitting like, oh, sure, they solved that problem, but- it's like that wonderful line in the Bible. It was the time when kings ought to be at war or something yeah. like that. And it's like, yeah, David should have been out at war because that was like his job. Yep. That's kind of what Star Wars generally feels like is, well, there's always going to be bad guys and you're always going to have to fight them and it's always going to be awesome. Duh. Like, that's the swashbuckling excitement of it. But this is like, oh no, there's bad guys and people are dying and a woman just had to die. And putting a woman in there makes you feel the futility of it in a way that like you said, if it's a dude, you're just like, oh, okay, sweet. Like, I'm sorry. That's sad. I might even cry at the heroism of it, but cool. Good for just him. That's how it is. Right. He gets to be one with the force now. Yeah. Great. And know that he died taking down a dreadnought for crying out loud. Yeah. So then we have some more Hux is ineffectual. Snoke's. Except that he's not because we cut away and then we come back and on a string indeed. Who's on a string? That's the whole thing that Huck says. We've got them on a string. And then Snoke's like, on a string indeed. Once he explains how they're tracking them through hyperspace Oh, right, right, right. Stuff. Yeah, because Huck's is, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So exactly. he's like, he gets this like, well done, General Huck's. Right. On a string indeed. Right, before Kylo Ren. But first you got but that. But it was meant to be a dagger in Kylo Ren as yeah. he walked in. I do enjoy the bad guys backbiting each other just the the looks between hux and that's always been a fun feature the way that you move up the ranks in bad guy star wars world has ever since empire strikes back been a really fun hilarious feature of the star wars movies all the promotions and de- deaths of different commanders in empire strikes back are fun and this one has that great line from snoke one of snoke's better lines is my disappointment in your performance cannot be overstated <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a nice I like it when bad guys in Star Wars movies say things like that. (laughs) Uh, Then we've got Finn. He wakes up and he's got a leaking bag of humorous fluids attached to him. Yeah. Fluids. Finn naked leaking bag. Are you you malfunctioning? (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) This movie does have some good humor and some bad humor. I just love space medicine. I've realized like it just cracks me up. Because you always get the feeling that the person, the screenwriter, doesn't know anything about medicine and he doesn't bother to learn anything about medicine. So it's just like, yeah, he's cooked to 10,000 tubes <laughs> because he was hit on the head <laughs> or whatever actually happened to him in Force Awakens. What even happens to him? He gets his back sliced up. Oh, uh, that's right. So maybe he does need a thousand tubes. Yeah, he needs a thousand tubes. But it's like Dr. Bones in Star Trek is, oh, let me wave this beeping thing over you. and <laughs> Okay, now, now you don't have cancer. And it's just like, you never get the like minority report, all these things where it feels like they've done their homework and figured it out. You know, like this is how it would be in the future. It just feels like no screenwriter is ever, ever interested in any kind of credible medical anything. They just <laughs> Which want- is a great joke to play. Like, yeah. And it's like, you know, Luke 
is going to be in the tube. Yes, that's right. <laughs> right, of water. With, with that the, little droid that connects the little yeah. round thing to and the glass. And he's in glass. a weird diaper. Yep. <laughs> we've advanced beyond that now. Right. We could just have you in a bag of... That's pretty fun. I will say as much as I don't and know... And nobody's watching or paying attention to him while he's in there. Right. So he's <laughs> slamming his head against the glass and walking out. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. I, I... Where are the medical droids, man? Where are the medical droids? Maybe the rest of the resistance can't, just can't afford. Maybe Well, their medical ship gets blown up. Isn't that one of the two Why ships? Why isn't he on it? Really good question. Plot hole. Ryan Johnson sucks. Oh, man. We, we discovered the first plot hole of this yep. movie. The first plot hole in all of Star Wars. And yeah, in all Star Wars, that's true. That, that hole that Ray goes down is literally a plot hole, or like a hole that she go, like as part of the plot, yeah, she goes yeah. into a hole. I I know. I, never mind. It was a great joke. Thank you. Hilarious. Red, red, Good job. <laughs> your mom would think it was a great joke. <laughs> <laughs> holding, holding for Jake. This is more the kind of humor that you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have an urgent message for him from his mother. <laughs> Uh, you know, I probably laughed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the internet really divided on that joke and I had to take a side. So I took a side against it. Now we go to the planet of, I don't know, Meredith keep call, kept calling them fishwives, which I guess they almost literally are. We go to the planet where Luke Octo. is. Octo. And Luke is standing there. We've got all this portentous buildup from the last movie. This is how he ended things. And what's he going to do with the lightsaber? He's going to throw it. Hilarious joke, Ryan. Yeah. Oh, you thought that you were going to get a cool, sincere, corny bit of Star Wars pageantry, like what you bought a ticket so you could see? Nah, nope. You're just going to get some dumb thing. Angry Luke doesn't want to be found. Well, here's my, I don't know if we want to get to the, okay, yeah, well, we can get to whatever we want whenever we want is our podcast. Look, my take on Luke is that basically, and we can talk more about this as we go through the individual sins, scenes, <laughs> the individual sins, Freudian slip there, Jake, the individual scenes. I don't think Luke's story is bad, actually. I'm fine with the beats of what Ryan Johnson wanted to do. What I really don't like is that he did it so darn unlikably. Yeah. Like, like there's a way to tell the story of a character who's given up hope and who's having a midlife crisis or an existential crisis or whatever you want to call it. In fact, action movies and stories like this do it all the time. Yeah. It's a classic trope. Humphrey Bogart is in Casablanca because he's running away from his past and because he doesn't want to re-engage. He doesn't want to fight the Nazis. But Humphrey Bogart's cynical and cool and unlikable. And, and I said unlikable, but Humphrey Bogart, even at his worst in that movie, is very likable. Yeah, Luke is just portrayed as such a jerk. Yeah, I guess the reason I want to talk about this here is because there's a way to say this is still the Luke Skywalker that we like, but he's not into the whole Jedi thing anymore. And then there's a way to give a middle finger to the audience for even wanting him to be. Yeah. And when he tosses the lightsaber, that feels like the latter. There are just so many subtle things that you could... He could hand it back to her. He could, he could drop it. He could drop it, yeah. Instead, he throws it over the cliff. I'm just dismissive, and I don't care about your feelings, Ray, or how long you traveled to get here. In fact, I'm already upset with you for even bothering me. I have no questions. How did you get my father's lightsaber? I'm not suddenly concerned about my friends, Leia and Han and Chewy and anybody, anybody. I'm just angry and petulant. And we talked a lot about Ray being younger in the movie that came previous and how that made us feel. Yeah. Did you clock the fact that she was older. significantly older in this yeah, movie? I did. Even though no time has supposedly passed in, yep. in movie 
logic? And did that change the way that you felt about her? She was just less believably this hopeful little girl who needed a daddy. I wonder if that's not intentional because Ryan Johnson didn't have any intention of giving her a daddy. So why have her? No, but he did need need her to feel like she sort of desperately needy and looking for one. That's what Kylo Ren plays on. Mm -hmm. I didn't hate my father, but I needed to not need him. You know, that's Mm -hmm. one of the scenes that they have together is I didn't hate him. I needed to not need him. And you know, you've got a big aching hole in your life and you've tried to fill it up with what? With Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, please. Right. You have to get past the, the need. That's the lesson Kylo Ren wants to teach her. And the lesson that she's maybe learning or maybe not learning or trying, is she going to, I don't know. That's the tension that he wants to play with. Yeah. You need to get to that place where you don't need dads, where you don't need fathers, where you don't need a father figure. Well, that would be much more powerful with the Ray of the first movie, I think. And not just because she's younger, because- That's the, the message of the whole movie is you- who needs a father figure? Mm. Nobody needs a father figure. The search for father figures, father hunger in and of itself is what is at the uh, the great world's core. Mm-hmm. And that is what needs to die, is the father hunger in and of itself. Who needs dads? Often a theme of Marvel movies too. Marvel movies are, Marvel movies, the answer is always, well, we all kind of need them, but also they suck. That's like Black Panther. That's the latest Spider-Man movie. That's any number of Marvel uh thor ragnarok it's like well your dad's a guy that you love but he also really was just as dumb and human as you are and probably and left you a lot of problems that you got to clean up at best and the way to clean them up is to make to make a family still running make a family for yourself right guardians galaxy 2 would be the other big example of that uh, so much of what's charming about ray in the first movie is that she has got this big goofy smile on her face and daisy ridley like we talked about last time has a really charming smile and J.J. Abrams just like leaned into it, leaned into it. And she doesn't get to flash that smile. She doesn't Ever. get to, she doesn't get to be needy and hopeful and just in love with life the way she was. Yeah. She's just kind of, we really need your help. Luke. Like that's the whole note that she gets to play. It's not really that compelling of a note coming from her. I don't like Ray as much in this yeah. movie. I know to people like to talk about Mary Sue, all that sort of stuff. But was she just a good every man for you in this movie? No. <laughs> <Sorry. Hasn't answered. laughs> to me it felt like the difference between a 11 year old and a 13 year old you know one's like full of hope at the possibility of life and the other one's like i've got hormones and life sucks it kind of felt like that <laughs> felt like that difference <laughs> it's like a kind of a subtle difference though i'm not talking about like a disrespectful teenager i'm talking about a polite well-bred well teenager. okay but she's got the persistence mm-hmm of a Jedi. Right. She's not going to give up on Luke. She's not going to give up on him. She's not going to give up on hope. She's not going to give up on bringing him back until at the very end, you know, she's like, fine, I'll go do it myself. You know, that might play better for me if Luke wasn't drinking gross green alien milk and sneering at her like a homeless man. Like To me, it plays like, oh, well, that failed. The really hopeful thing would be to go do something else. I know that in the movie logic, it's not that way because Luke is kind of the only person that has the keys to what she needs. But in emotional logic, it plays that way. It plays like, why would you waste any more time with this jerk? You're, you, you're not somebody that likes jerks. Sorry that Han Solo had to die. All right. Then we have this amazing scene in Snoke's office. Snoke's office? Yeah. What do you think about <laughs> Snoke's office? If you could have a giant red office and go around wearing a gold robe. I would do it. Would you do it? I would totally do it. Let's do it. I think we should get you a red office, like a 
can I have a bunch of awesome ninjas clad in pure red? Well, that would make you unlike Snoke because I'm going to contend these guys suck. <laughs> but they look awesome. And uh, you know. they, they went down at the hands of the two most powerful force users in the galaxy. Yeah, because they were goofing around. Watch that scene and don't watch Rey and Kylo. Watch those guys. Just watch those guys and the scene sucks. It goes from being awesome to sucking if you just watch those guys because there is so much of people just goofing around in the corner like, oh, I'm slipping. I can't quite make it to Kylo. There's the. It's some of the worst. You're sort of like bad 60s kung fu movies where the guys just kind of stand in a circle and attack him one at a time for some reason. Yeah. This movie has some of the corniest that kind of stuff. That's like an art form that these stuntmen practice, right? It is, but these guys need to practice some more. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever see Looper? Yeah, I think you did, right? So that movie has a bunch of really bad action scenes. I just don't think that... Ryan's good at hand-to-hand combat action. uh, Yeah, I just don't think it's his thing. That scene's cool, I guess, if you like to see little girls beat up giant red guys, but I don't know. I mean, he opens the lightsaber into the guy's That part's awesome. I like that part. I like this when we cut back to them and they're fighting the guys individually. I really like that. But that scene where Snoke first dies and they're in the center and all the guys charge at them. Just watch the scene again and watch those guys. And I, I think it's kind of silly. You, you do it, listener. It's the Snoke, Ray, Kylo fight scene test. And hashtag Kylo, Ray fight scene test challenge. Yeah. Ray Jack's been solo up and that's why... He makes the mask, remakes the mask, jacks his face up. Oh. Uh, Maybe. Just that's, a an theory. Inter- that's an interesting theory. It's a theory. She's, a, a, she's not, already I'm jacked his face up once. I'm not 100%. I know. Poetry. I'm not yeah. 100%. Poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not 100% committed to it. That's an interesting theory. I think I'm going to bet against you on this one. I'm going to say he just has them. He just remakes it near the beginning somewhere in act one. Why does he need it? It's just a way of showing that he's reverted back to being super villain Kylo instead of angsty kylo uh, but but in all the fights with her he doesn't have it on so you're saying the mask comes after the fights in the fight on the ship i think that makes a certain amount of that runs. makes a certain amount of plot uh sense what doesn't make sense though is that in the fight in the where we see him killing people with his when he uses the side of the thing and mm-hmm. then his hair is flowing everywhere i'm saying we've not have we seen him in a trailer where actually wearing the mask yes yeah, so in the very first trailer he's in the woods with no, in the woods, he's not wearing the mask, is he? I think he is. Maybe I'm crazy. Can we look? Yeah. This is worth looking. Folks, we're looking it up right now. Totally worth it. Okay, so the only two spots we see. He's, if you see him remaking it in the first trailer. But when he's in the woods, he doesn't have it. When he's fighting her on the remains of the thing, he doesn't have it. True. We see him in a white room destroying the Vader mask while he's wearing it with Rey. Although... One of the TV spots makes it look like they're having a fight and they do it on accident. Right. Well, only one way to do that, Jake, or only one way to figure it out. Watch Watch the the movie. Watch the movie. All right. Well, it was just the thought. To me, it seems weird that he would go from no mask for a lot of the movie to mask. Because it's like he's going to be presumably, even if he becomes super evil. I mean, unless we're actually telling the story of him finally deciding to just be evil and wear the mask, which presumably we're not. No. He's going to be getting. I would assume more vulnerable as the movie goes on. And so in cinema logic, it feels weird that he would be at his least vulnerable without the mask yeah. and then most vulnerable with it. That's my only real argument against that. That's fair. And I, I think that 
when are the Knights of Ren going to come into play? That's a great question. I'm going to say their first act. Probably. They got to be gone by the time it's done. Wouldn't so. shock me if he killed the Knights of Ren himself, even while he's still bad. Just well, because they're all, they all seem like they're wearing masks in the trailer. And so maybe it's just part of. I mean, that might be who he's fighting in the woods and it might just be like. I'm taking them all out. Sorry, boys. I'm the dude now. I'm the, I'm the dude. Yeah. I just, uh, I'm not even going to risk having you around. Right. Yeah. Thanks for nothing. I guess we'll find out. So Snoke, we have this uh, scene with Snoke. He's got a new. Yep. Sorry, folks. It comes out today. So you can handle us talking a little bit about <laughs> our theories. Okay. So act one, Kylo Ren is out to destroy. We've said this before. Kylo Ren's out to destroy all rivals. Mm-hmm. He's going to realize Palpatine's alive. So he's going to try to kill Palpatine. Ray's going to be egged on one way or another. How's he going to do? He's going to go back. He's going to go up the chain. Mm-hmm. And so what he's going to find is where did Snoke come from? The Knights of Ren are the protectors of Snoke in that sense, or the legacy of Snoke, or the something of, and then behind that's going to be Palpatine. So we're going to find out that Snoke was, uh, he was a cog in the, in the wheel that Palpatine has been weaving, and he's going to have to get through the Knights of Ren to figure out I that like, Palpatine's behind it all. I like retroactively giving Snoke some The Knights of Ren are going to be the old Inquisitors or something like that. Yeah. That would be cool. That would be cool. I do not like, you know what I hate though? And I don't know why I hate this, but I really hate it. I hate Kylo being antagonistic towards Palpatine while he's evil. If him and Rey are both going after Palpatine for different reasons, I hate that. I don't know why. I just hate it. I think it's annoying and stupid and a waste of my time. I want Kylo to be teaming up with Palpatine until such time as he turns good. I don't know why that's my initial reaction. That's not even how Sith work. Yeah, I know that they they offer each other and go up the chain. That's part of the point of Sith is that, you know, the master and apprentice are always trying to kill each other. And that's part of what makes them strong as a team. Yeah, but like if Return of the Jedi was Luke and Darth Vader competing to kill Palpatine, I wouldn't like that. I don't know. I, I have absolutely no argument about this or anything interesting to say about it besides the fact that it just hits my gut the wrong way for some reason. I just don't want to spend a lot of narrative shoe leather on infighting between characters that are both bad, I guess. You could argue if we're going to redeem Ben, then he's not bad. But I, I look, I guess I guess it's there's no suspense in watching a bad guy go after a bad guy because the one thing we know is that evil Ben isn't going to be able to kill Palpatine. Not until he's a good guy. Not until he's good. So it just feels like a lot of shoe leather without really getting us anywhere. It feels like another kind well, of closed loop, like, oh, we have to watch him keep trying and failing, like Coyote, but, Coyote versus Roadrunner kind of thing? No, but it's not about that. What it, what it's about is the paths of Ray and Ren crossing each other as they do. So the drama isn't in, is he going to get Palpatine? The drama is what's going to happen when he and Ray keep hitting each other on their path back to him. And how is it going to end in them being <laughs> on the same team by the time they do? Yeah, I guess, it's uh, again, it just... Feels like he's on a side quest that, I don't know, they could probably make that work. So speaking of The Last Jedi, though, we were just on, we were just, we've, we've made it through maybe a half an hour of this movie so far in the hour and a half of this podcast or whatever it's been. Yeah. Snoke has an amazing office. We're going to get Jake an office like that. Do you like the Snoke scene? What do you think about the Snoke scene? I don't know. Or what do you think of the smoke scene, as I wrote in my notes here? <laughs> do you like the scene with smoke? <laughs> You think smoke's a good bad guy? <laughs> the smoke that comes from when he smashes his yeah. helmet. Yeah, you like that smoke? <laughs> it's pretty great the smoke. Ele- elevator? 
Yeah, Smoke might be the best performance in the movie, certainly better than Mark Hamill. (sighs) Sorry, Mark Hamill. I think you're fine. I just don't like what Ryan Johnson asked you to do. He's pretty good in the third act. Snoke? Hamill. Oh, Hamill. Yeah, he's okay. No, he's good in the third act. When he winks at 3PO, I like that. Yeah. But that's two hour plus of movie we have to watch with him with his mouth gaping open like a homeless person just looking like sneering at Ray because she's so dumb to want a daddy. There's a way to maybe do that with some dignity. I assume Ryan Johnson didn't want it with some dig- with dignity, so I don't really blame Mark Hamill, but I don't like Luke in this movie. But this is mo- the smoke, the Snoke scene. It's amazing. He's got, I love bad guy interior de- decorating. I love that Snoke has taken a page out of Palpatine's book and painted his office evil red. I was pleasantly surprised by Snoke. I remembered him as being kind of a zero villain wise, but that's the scene where he talks to Kylo is actually, he's pretty intimidating and scary and seems to be enjoying himself. I don't know. How do you feel about Snoke as portrayed in this movie? Why shouldn't I like him? He's got a little bit of that Palpatine glee. Joy de vivre. He's certainly feeling it. He's got his red throne room. Mm-hmm. He's got his gold robe. He showed up because this is the end of the resistance. He's feeling it. He's like... He's here to play. He's here to play. He's got Hux. He's manipulating him. He's got Ren. He's manipulating him. He's got, you know, Ray's going to show up. He's manipulated all of this to perfection. It's all going to come together for him. He's happy. He's on top of... He's living large. He's... Yeah, he I mean... He can still boss these guys around with the Force. Like... I mean, he zaps Kylo. That's he just pretty, like, boom. Boom, yep. Knocks him way back on his heels. Like, he can't... Like, Kylo Ren can't actually, in a straight up man-to-man... He can't handle Snoke. No. They do such a good job of making Snoke feel potent that it feels a little weird that Snoke wasn't just like, oh, you're turning your lightsaber towards me? Yeah, you're dead, dude. Don't don't, don't turn your lightsaber towards me. Yeah. It, it's weird that Snoke is so... His arrogance blinds him. Yeah, I guess so. But it's kind of like, actually, Palpatine. They make him so potent and awesome in the cartoons and in revenge of the sith and all that stuff that the fact that he's just a dorky old man that darth vader can just pick up and throw into a one of those dangerous power abyss things he wanted him to yeah this is all part of the plan they're not gonna do that guys sorry no i wish they would but no they're not he's surprised i guarantee you he was surprised is what though because abrams won't want to betray what happened no i mean that's the whole trick to this trilogy or one of the whole tricks is how can we make it feel like the original trilogy, they actually accomplished something. Certainly, if you're going to bring Palpatine back, that's the big thing is how can you bring him back in a way that makes it, that doesn't make it feel like you're negating everything that they achieved. Yeah. And what, one of the dumb things that they can't do, and this again is why Nathan's argument about bringing Vader back would be cool, Mm -hmm. is if Vader seemed to have killed him before, then Vader needs to deal the final blow. That's what they did with Obi-Wan seemed to have killed him. Obi-Wan delivers the fatal blow. Well, if they've if they're being if they're not doing what I want, which is to actually give us Anakin swings the sword, but they are at least being smart within the framework they've created for themselves. Ray swinging the final blow is Anakin swinging the final blow. Yeah, and they but the, what they have to do is they have to set it up throughout the whole movie with Anakin's Force Ghost whispering to her like I said they should do, which I don't think they're going to do now. And it needs to be with Anakin's lightsaber. It sort of limits... Or with the... I guess you could make it with the dual lightsabers of Luke and Leia, but... Yeah, sure. I mean, you could do that. But 
I, I think it actually limits your options a little bit in terms of the outcome of this movie, because what you don't want to do is negate the good stuff that happened in Return of the Jedi, which means whatever piece they bought at the Return of the Jedi needs to have meant something. And so it meant either was gave birth to Ben Solo, who ultimately took down the Emperor, took down the Emperor and freed the galaxy, or it gave birth to Rey, who ultimately did all that, or both. What it can't mean is uh, Rey was the child of some junk traders and Ben Solo was a bad guy. There's yeah. no way that yep. this movie can no way. have that be the conclusion. And Ray just it, became the awesome name, and the killed. The name of it's The Rise of Skywalker. Right. Because otherwise. Them telling us they know. Right. Like, yeah, we get it. It can't be that. It can't be that. Which, I don't know. I mean, I think there's actually kind of a fun version of that. I like the the, the democraticness, the democracy of Ray actually is a nobody. I thought that, that was pretty a pretty interesting idea, but. Star Wars is so much about lineage and fathers and sons and mothers and daughters that yep. they can't do that. No, they can't. They won't. They won't do that. I think we can pretty officially say that. But we're talking about the Snoke scene. Is there anything else to say about Snoke? He says, I saw what all masters live to see. Raw, untamed power. Jake, is that what all masters live to see? Maybe what all Sith masters live to see. I feel like there's a lot of people who are masters that don't live to see raw, untamed power. Eh, I think that there are probably a lot of Sith masters that live to see that or would at least flatter their any coach use or or father or pastor use hyperbole at a situation like that. You hyper what? Use hyperbole. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw what I lived to see the greatest basketball player all this raw untamed talent tennis talent for tennis that i could shape yes uh, and you will be the ultimate i don't know why he became tennis, tennis coach because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's about all snoke really amounts to by the time this is all said Ten- tennis <laughs> coach tennis coach yeah uh, I was surprised by how much I like Snoke. I don't really like Andy Serkis in the role. I like Andy Serkis, but I feel like... I, never, I can't, can't quite articulate this. I've been thinking about this. Andy Serkis, to me, feels like a small man who's good at playing small men. Like, Smeagol is a great Andy Serkis creation because... But Andy Serkis is huge. Yeah, but the characters that he always plays are, like, supporting... You know, he's, like, the chef in King Kong, or he's that sub-villain. And he plays, feels like a slimy, grubby little sub-villain in the... Black Panther, Black Panther stuff. He always plays that kind of a, yes, I understand he's physically imposing, but he feels like a guy that's not really capable of expansiveness in his, like he can be the guy that just talks like this, but what he could never really do is play the Ian McDermott role in Star Wars, you know, or the Hannibal Lecter role. He just doesn't feel big in that. I said I couldn't articulate this, and I so I can't, but he he feels to me like, an actor that doesn't have a range that extends to being able to play to the rafters. Not that he's bad, but he's just made to play second fiddle, second fiddle kind of characters. And that's, in fact, I guess what they did with what them, they right? did with Snoke. And it's weird because it's just a voice performance and a thing. But Snoke never really does achieve that grandeur that Palpatine. Maybe you, know, you could argue. Well, here, let if me they ask put you. him in a dark hood. Palpatine, you mean? No, if they put Snoke in black mm-hmm. and in a dark hood on a golden throne in a red room, and you never actually really see his face. Wouldn't hurt anything. You know, we watched Snow White and the Seven Dwarves the other day with your kids, because that's the kind of thing we do in our spare time, that the old lady puts on that black robe when she's going to go give the apple to Snow White, and it just 
made me think about Palpatine. Hmm. That iconography is so... Playing with the tropes. Yeah. George Lucas knows how to... Maybe that's the difference between Palpatine and Snoke, actually, is that Snoke... Like, we don't all have in our sub in our Jungian sort of subconscious the idea of a gold-robed villain, but we do definitely all have, you know, in the tropes that are built into us, the idea of a dark-hooded... I mean, that's part of the point. Like... He's supreme leader, Snoke. He's not... He's not... The emperor the of all evil. Yeah. He's supreme leader. Do you think, by that token, that Abrams, when he makes Force Awakens, is he planning on Palpatine? There's differing reports about this in the media right now. Abrams has said... Of course, you bring back Palpatine. How could you not? He is the villain of Star Wars. I don't really feel like that's what he's building up to. And people have said, there's rumors, They're all, Disney's always pretty closed on this. Yeah. But they, what they've said is that the Colin uh, Trevorrow Trevorrow. Trevorrow version didn't have Palpatine. So it obviously wasn't always the plan that the Brain Trust had come up with to have Palpatine. Yep. To me, it seems like an obvious Ryan Johnson didn't give us leave us an effective hook and this is how we figured out you and i that palpatine would be in it like oh yeah ryan johnson didn't leave them an effective villain hook so the only thing unless you want to try and go from zero to greatest villain of all time in the space of one movie you got to bring palpatine back it didn't feel like the plan was to bring palpatine back therefore we wrote ourselves into a corner palpatine is our hail mary basically yeah hail palpatine what do you feel about the mask of it all? Are you glad that Kylo Ren smashes his mask? Did you want to see? Is, a lot of people have said that's like Ryan Johnson intentionally saying, screw the iconography, let the old things die. Of course it, of course it is. But take off that silly mask mm-hmm. for Snoke to just undercut it all. I, uh, w- one storytelling lesson that from George Lucas that has always stuck with me and that I've, when we, when we write stories and do things, I always think about this. I, I, thought, I think about this all the time is... When Han Solo, right, you remember when the tools hit his head, that whole yep. section in Empire Strikes Back? Apparently in the original Lawrence Cashton script, there was a line where Han Solo said, just said sarcastically, this is boring. And George Lucas was like, no, take that line out. I'm not going to have anybody say that anything that's happening in my movie, even the, even sarcastically, no one is going to say the word boring in my movie. Yep. We do not go there. Because we don't open up the audience's mind to think that anything is boring. Right. Like the, yeah. the word boring and Star Wars do not belong in the same galaxy together. Yeah. Which has always seemed, I'm, I'm not even sure whether, whether I agree, but it's an intriguing notion that if you want your story to be exciting, then you need to be telling people how exciting it is and to have a character, even a roguish, sarcastic character, say it's boring. It's a pretty complicated thing to have Snoke go in on the mask and then have Ren impotently frustratedly smash up the mask there is a there's a meta meta sense in which it is saying like oh well everything that you've been fascinated with about the original star darth vader is kind of childish and stupid and it's let's be done with that yeah let's be done with the skull mask and nazi helmet of it all that stuff's actually not that cool yeah a real villain is villainous not because he wears black and or has a hood over him or wears a mask he's out and proud Actually, the real villains are the profiteers of Canto Bight who look very pleasant and like they're having fun, but real villainy is complicated, as Benicio Del Toro reminds us later. I don't know how I feel about it. I guess I feel like if Ryan Johnson had been able to actually do that, if if Ray takes Kylo's hand and we're saying this is officially adult Star Wars where things are complicated and old Star Wars sucks, to me that could be brave and interesting and fun and, and even cool and exciting. But the fact that they couldn't ultimately do that, it feels weird. 
like we're going to tell you that the mask is stupid and then Luke Skywalker is going to walk out at the end with his laser sword and we're going to tell you laser swords are stupid and then we're just going to do it at the end. You're going to be expected to actually feel like it's exciting and cool after we've told you it's not exciting and cool. I mean, part of the problem here is that as we get into the new trilogy, we have a level of complexity that no Star Wars movie has ever had and has ever asked of us. It's very simple, black and white, ham-fisted, over-the-top, the the most uh, simplistic Jungian tropes. And now Ryan Johnson and and company are, are asking us to dig deep. I sort of resent even having to dig deep and discussing think, it th- think about yeah dig deep and discussing it That's think about what Star Wars the, is about it's about laser swords and it's about laser swords and good versus evil in the most simple terms fine make it a little more adult that's okay whatever i get it the audience the paying customers older now whatever fine but i mean i wonder if ryan johnson wasn't actually trying to do that though and he just did it in a way that i don't really like i mean the idea i guess if you just take this movie on face value is we're going to introduce a bunch of ambiguities and then we're going to say no at the end of the day it comes down to good versus evil and doing what's right i mean if this movie taken by itself i guess that's the i don't know the messaging is kind of confusing in this movie i think but wouldn't that be the point does does ryan johnson believe that there's a what's right to be done it doesn't really feel like it no it doesn't but that's what the movie kind of want to if there's anything heroic in what luke does it's because everything that he said about how complicated it was was crap. That's the thing that I don't really understand about this movie is it's actually when you start to actually dig into it, it's hard to actually know where the movie's sympathies lie. And I think it, for me, it all comes down to the fact that Ray doesn't take Kylo's hand, and there's no the movie doesn't actually give us a reason why she would do that. I mean, if you were Ray, would you? All you've ever known is your daddy didn't love you and you've had to scavenge in the desert. And then She's for a Harry co- Potter, though. She knows what's right in her heart. But you know what J.K. Rowling's really good at is making us feel like the people that Harry doesn't like are bad and the people that Harry does like good. The moral logic may be questionable when you start to think about it in Harry Potter, but it always feels pretty good. J.K. Rowling always tells you how you're supposed to feel, even when she's tricking you, like with Snape. You know how you're supposed to feel about, about him Snape. in yeah. any given moment. Like we're supposed to think he's creepy and then we're supposed to be like, or, oh. Or a buffoon or. Or whatever. And then at the end, we're supposed to rethink that. But J.K. Rowling always knows where she is in the formula. This movie, it feels like, it kind of feels like I'm supposed to like Luke more than I actually do. Luke's a stand-in for, uh, yeah, okay. In one sense, Luke's a stand-in for every grumpy Star Wars fan mm-hmm. who's been like, everything since the OT sucks. The prequels suck force awakens sucks it's time for all of this to be done this is childish and stupid and nobody wins but why would that person even buy a ticket to star wars so that yoda can show up and reinvigorate his childhood and tell him to make one last give it one last shot and make space for leia to and ray to save the day and do the thing that he could so that's a classic story. That's one of the classic stories. That's Casablanca. You know, that's my favorite story. That's like the cynical washed out hero decides to give it one more shot and make some space for what's his face, you know, for Ingrid Bergman's boyfriend to go save the world. He, like George Lucas, made lots and lots of mistakes and screwed it all up for everyone and has nothing but regrets and needs to retire and be a hermit on Skywalker Ranch. Mm-hmm. Well, let's all give it one last go. And I think let's make space for the. New people for Leia and Ray to save the day this time. And that's a good story. And that's the story that this movie 
tells you it's telling. Yes. But there's a difference between what it tells you it's telling and what it shows you it's telling, what it makes you feel. And like the next scene that in the order that we were going to talk about is a scene where Luke says, you don't need Luke Skywalker. And then he goes and milks this disgusting creature and gets blue. Green. Or green milk. alien milk all over his beard, like yeah. a homeless person in a mess hall and sneers at her. And it's just like, I know I'm supposed to like this guy and be rooting for his redemption, but he's an unpleasant person. Did you think that Yoda was pleasant when he showed up? That's the devil's advocacy argument. But the fact is, yes, I did. He was adorably charming. The other thing is that Yoda had an endgame. He knew who Luke was. He knew what Luke was about, and he had every intention of training Luke. Right. He just wanted Luke to jump. He needed to teach him a lesson first. Yeah. And then he needed to teach him more or less. Everything that Yoda does, we as an audience kind of intuitively, even when he says, oh, I'm not going to train the boy, and then he turns around and trains him. I think we kind of understand Yoda's just putting Luke through his paces. Right. And Luke deserves it because he's a brat and he needs to learn. And and we know that and we understand where we are in the formula. This isn't that. No, it's not. And it doesn't really feel like Rick and Casablanca either, to me at least. It just feels like gross middle-aged guy that's checked out and wants to eat Cheetos on the couch. His wife left him and so I guess family sucks and he's just going to eat Cheetos on the couch instead of trying to engage. And if any of the kids ask him to love them, he's going to sneer at them. That's about the level of maturity we get out of Luke Skywalker yeah. in a Star Wars movie. And it feels, I don't know. It feels... Until she finds her way to the tree. Yeah. She finds her way to the tree in the text. He realizes that she's had visions of the island and of the place before and of Luke and of the tree. He asks who she is, Mm -hmm. where she's from and how she got there on the Falcon. And then where's Han? And then he's going to sneak out at night and go, Chewbacca is going to show up and he's going to sneak out at night and he's going to go into, then R2-D2 is going to be there and he's going to get the, help me out, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. You fought with my father in the Clone Wars. And And he'll say that's a cheap trick. Which is a fun joke. That's a fun joke and that's a sweet scene. But that should be like the baseline of where we start with Luke Skywalker. I don't like having to sit through him being mean to Ray Let's and then start with him being sad instead of angry. Yeah, I mean, just look. Here's 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 the million dollar question. If this guy's name was Bob Smith, what would we as an audience think about him? And I I submit to you, we would not like Bob Smith. But Ray heard the legends of Luke Skywalker just like we did. But we saw the legends of Luke Skywalker, and we knew Luke was a pretty cool guy. We actually really haven't seen. I mean, not all that much. Well, maybe that's the problem is nobody has seen them. And so you have to take on faith that at a certain point in between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and then in between Return of the Jedi and the new trilogy, Luke was just unmitigatedly awesome. awesome. And the movie assumes that you will have that foundation and that will always be there. That affection for that guy will always be there informing everything that you see that he's become. But for me, it's like, you know what? It's been 30 years since the last movie and Mark Hamill's a different looking guy and he is a different guy. And my relationship with Luke Skywalker is different. And this movie needs to reestablish- What I like about Luke. Yeah, in in its own emotional logic. Like every movie is new. Like I may have liked Ray the first time, but you have to tell me, I may have liked Poe the first time again, but you have to start from scratch in a certain storytelling sense. You have to start from scratch and say, okay, it's Poe. He's the brashy, brashy, brash cocky guy. You know, okay, it's- this character. Uh, do you have to start that way? I mean, like, 
you can give a quick reminder, but don't you appreciate when a storyteller can jump in because they yeah. know that you're Robert Downey Jr. doesn't have to establish himself with 5,000 quips that he's the quippy guy. He can actually be pretty serious in Civil War because, and we still know it's Tony Stark. He's just going through something. Yeah, that's fine. I, I, I agree with that. I guess I'm just trying to get at in this movie, we are essentially meeting. We've so- not spent 10, 12 years with Tony Stark. Right. We've actually spent three movies with Luke Skywalker 40 years ago. And he was kind of a cipher then. And yeah. so he could have grown into any number of characters. I'll tell you the one I like is the one that winks at C-3PO. I like the guy that's yeah. a little bit more world wary, a little bit has kind of the sense of humor that the real Mark Hamill has these days, is a little bit removed from it all, but is also wise and cool. And Yeah, the world weary Luke who's like, well, I didn't think I'd have to pull out my lightsaber again, but here I am. And now I'm going to be awesome. But we're asked to believe a Luke that will let Leia die, that that does in fact let Han die, that is so checked out. And I don't know. I mean, I feel like a, maybe I'm just avoiding saying what a simplistic well, nerd would say, but that's yeah, not my okay. Luke Skywalker, you know? Okay, but you have to have, I mean, think about the story logic in general. How does the First Order rise up? If Luke's not checked out. If Luke's not checked out. How does, how does the Luke Skywalker you want to see on screen allow that to happen? Then I think what you need to do is show me and make me feel why Luke would be that way. And this movie actually doesn't do that. It just tells you, okay, now he's grumpy. And then it gives you some information and it gives it to you visually. He stood over Kylo Ren, opened his lightsaber, and he didn't mean to do it and he'd failed him. But what it never does is actually puts you in the emotional headspace where you're Luke, you're really proud of this thing that you've built, and then you have a moment of weakness and fear and you screw it all up, and everything's ruined. And actually, if you really believe in the Zen bullcrap of the Jedi, who cares if your friends die? We're all becoming one with the Force one way or another. Now you need to go retreat. And I think there's a way to tell that story. I just think, and and I think Ryan Johnson is a clever filmmaker, but I also think he's kind of a heartless filmmaker and that he doesn't actually know how to make emotional sense of that for the audience like there's not a place where i can actually enter into that with luke i mean it's all there kind of but it's not there nearly as effective as it could be i mean how about here's the simplest way would just be a more extended flashback what if is it all there if you come okay do you agree with me that it's not all there first of all i agree that if it's there it's subtle Mm -hmm. is it all there if you are a failed father who's watched your son walk out on the family turn away from the faith? That's a great question. And we actually had a fan write something to that effect that that he found this movie very moving because... He identified so immediately with Luke. I still want to say, if you don't want to negate what's good about Luke Skywalker, which is his camaraderie, his love for his friends, his all that stuff, you kind of have to put a little bit more elbow grease into taking him from point A to point B. Well, here's the thing. Movies don't exist so that you can only identify with yourself. If that's what a movie does, then that's a bad movie. Agreed. So if what you really want is to help people identify with a failed father figure, you've got to help people who are removed from being failed father figures because they've not failed as a father as big as Luke yet. Mm. or aren't fathers yet or can't be fathers. You've got to create space for there to be some empathy. You show them 
and the way that you the easiest way to do that is to simply do the math for people. And doing the math doesn't mean just telling them here's the incident that happened. You have that, to give them two and two. Yeah, you have to actually show them and make them feel the like equation. I could be a good father. I could be trying really hard, and then I could make one devastating mistake out of my own fears and insecurities, and it could ruin everything, not just for me, but for my friends, my family, and the galaxy at large. It could bring about the first order. You know, there's a way, and I could be Luke Skywalker, the coolest Jedi. And still do that. And still do that. That's a great story, and that's a powerful story. It's not actually the one, I want to argue, that Ryan Johnson, I think probably as Ryan Johnson wrote the script and he had Luke say things like, I was Luke Skywalker, he was probably really moved. I could imagine myself writing something like that and being moved. But I don't think he actually gives the audience the connective tissue to well, make it Well, if work. anything, I mean, could you argue that he simply failed to elicit the right performances? That Yes, I think so. If, if you get the right looks on Luke's face as he stands over Ben, the right look on Ben's face when he's surprised to see Luke standing over him with his lightsaber open. And wouldn't you say that he tried to give an accurate, the first time we see it, He's there, he looks in, he's afraid. That's it. The second time we see it, Kylo Ren wakes up to see a fierce, angry man with a green lightsaber about to kill him. Mm -hmm. Ben's perspective, he's either telling the truth of his perspective, how he saw it, he's embellishing it, he's embellished it in his memory, whatever, that's what happens to memories Mm -hmm. anyway. And then we get the third time and it's Luke in a moment of weakness, he opens his lightsaber then he looks down and there's scared Ben and it's too late to take it back. Mm-hmm. Ben, no. Ben grabs his lightsaber, pulls the roof down. Yeah. What you just said was, in fact, a compelling story, I think. like That works on paper. Yeah, it doesn't quite work in the movie, though, and I'm, I'm not. It doesn't work in a movie or Mark Hamill sucks. I don't know whether Mark Hamill sucks or not. It's really hard to tell. It feel here's what my sense of it is, and I'm not sure whether this is true. It's just my sense. My sense is that Ryan Johnson, it's easy to beat up on Ryan Johnson, but he is a talented guy. But what he likes to do is, and he'd be the first to admit this, he loves to play with people's expectations and he loves to pull the rug out. And what it feels like to me is that maybe in those individual moments, he went for that instead of going, instead of having Mark Hamill go for more cohesive, cogent, and moving overall performance it's the problem with tossing the lightsaber it's a good moment if you're only dropping it well if your only goal is to pull the rug out from the audience and make them go oh and make them kind of laugh and be like oh wow this is a different it's a good moment but what it doesn't do is establish an a likable character for luke skywalker i think ryan johnson maybe made a series of decisions like that with the performance you know he just doesn't give us those moments where luke's allowed to be sympathetic be sympathetic yeah shoot a couple shots where Luke and Kylo are training and he puts his hand on his shoulder. I mean, even just doing that much would go a long way towards showing, oh, these guys liked each other and Luke thought he had something. And then find a visual way to show the, tell the story of Luke was scared. Let's see the moment where Kylo betrays the fact that he can channel the dark side really naturally and it's scary. So I don't know. I guess to answer your question, I'm kind of landing on- That makes the movie much more about Kylo Ren and much less about Rey. Yeah, but the movie's not about Rey anyway, I don't think. I mean, her big moment is she can lift some rocks at the end. I mean, she's kind of the audience 
surrogate person that gets to experience all these other characters. But for a good chunk of the movie, at least she's in the she's not in the driver's seat. She's just reacting to Luke Skywalker. Then her final re and to Kylo Ren, actually, and to the hole of despair that, or whatever. I mean, that's Empire. Luke's reacting to Yoda. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that at all. The whole movie. You'd... And then finally at the end, he's like, whatever, I got to take my destiny in my hands and I got to go save my friends. And that is Ray's arc. She's just like reacting to Luke until finally she's like, you know, whatever, are you going to come with me or not? People need help. And I think that I can save these people. Right. I agree with you. Your question was, does a Luke story that provides some more meat and understanding for Luke fit into Ray? And I'm saying... Yeah, I think it actually does because she can just react to that instead of reacting to this story that doesn't allow space for Luke to function as a fully fleshed out character, I guess. I don't know. Do you think it is just Mark Hamill's performance? I'm really not sure. I'm trying to cut him some slack and say maybe the writing wasn't there. I am saying that I don't see how you don't think that you've accomplished that with those three. Why do you bother to go back and rehash that scene three times unless you think it's doing that work? Mm-hmm. Unless it does that work on paper, unless it is your intention to get that work done through those three flashback scenes. So either those scenes were the best you could come up with, you misdirected them. Mm-hmm. I think they work on paper, actually. I think there's a way that those scenes can do the work that you want them to do. So it's either in the directing or in the performance of them, or he should have. we should have thrown them out and said, this isn't working and we need to write something new. Yeah, you know, it occurs to me, though. I'm just saying. Those scenes aren't performance proof. We talk about something in our work, which is. That's what I've been trying to say. Yeah, performance proof that I like. So I think that that actually is a screenplay problem then. It's a fundamental screenplay problem. It's the PG PG Woodhouse has this quote that I love that I never know how to do besides butcher. But he says, because I don't remember exactly how he says it, but he says that he basically says, if you are outlining your novel and you get to the part where you say, oh, this will this part will work because I'm a genius, then. That's the dumbest part of your outline. What it should be is the part of your outline. You know, every part in your outline should work if you write the worst version of it. And what, what and I think that that's actually a screenplay problem. I guess I'm just agreeing with you. It's it's actually a, a Ryan Johnson problem, not a Mark Hamill problem. If Mark Hamill has to save it by giving a great performance, then it's a poorly written scene. It should I agree. be a scene that withstands any performance by Mark Hamill. The the problem with the film is that you, your performance proofing can only go so far. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you are stuck with the performance that your actors deliver. And you ain't going to recast in, Mark Hamill. In this case, you're not recasting Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. And then, you, then your job as Ryan, then I still lay the blame at Ryan Johnson's feet. Your job is then to write scenes that do that work and play to Hamill's strengths. In those scenes, he doesn't have to deliver any dialogue. He just has to show up, look scared, look angry. And look sad. And what I'm saying is, nice try, but it would have been better if he had to deliver dialogue where he, and it was good dialogue, because he'd actually have a better chance of doing that than pulling his scared face, his angry face, and his, whatever the third face was. Sad. Sad face. That actually- It's sad, then it's angry, and then it's scared in that order. Yeah. And I don't know, Mark Hamill is actually, like you compare Mark Hamill to like, uh, what's his face? Adam Driver. That is a man of a thousand pouts, and he can say so much with any given pout. His conversations with Daisy Ridley, he's out acting her. He's just a good actor, right? Like He's very talented. He can just do a lot with a little. He can take a bad line of Star Wars dialogue and really make it sing, and he can just look at someone and react to them, and you can know like 
he's angry, but he's also scared, but he's he's just a good actor. That's all I'm saying. You know, Luke stands over him in the bed. We cut to his reaction. He's perfectly scared and betrayed and confused. And in he, the second scene, yeah. Yeah, in the second scene. And then you cut back to Mark Hamill and he's kind of, I don't know what you do do with that, but I don't know. Are you saying Ryan Johnson did the best he could and Mark I'm, Hamill just I'm dropped the ball? I'm saying it's awfully, if you're saying, if your argument is you can't count on your actor to deliver a credible sad face, mm-hmm. a credible angry face, and a credible scared face, and that's all that you're asking from him, then you've got some uh, a really limited tool that you're working with, and you can't put that all on the screenplay. Well, but I think my argument against that would be delivering a credible sad face that tells you everything about how a person's feeling in three seconds in one shot is one of the hardest things you could ask an actor yeah, to okay, do. Yeah, okay, fine. A bad actor can deliver dialogue that says, oh, I'm really sad right now. And and if you're delivering dialogue, you don't actually have to be on the person's face. Right. You can cut around. Yeah. I mean, the counter argument I might make is Carrie Fisher. Ryan Johnson really figured out how to use her and get a way better performance out of her. It was so good. And it's because, like we talked about last time, Abrams asked her to be warm. She is absolutely incapable of being grandmotherly and maternal in the ways that Abrams wanted. And so, I know what you're going to say. I've changed my hair. What a great line and great delivery. It's and but that that line, it's a great line, but that delivery is awesome. Yeah, it's in good. That moment. Because she's good at quips. That's who she is. And so have her uh, wipe that expression off your face, seat 3PO. <laughs> that was another That's awesome a, line. He just loaded her up <laughs> with good quips, and even if she's showing love, tough love to somebody, to what's his face, to Poe, she yeah. still does it in a quippy yeah. Carrie Fisher kind of a way. Yeah. That's an example of Having an actress with limited range, limited dentures, although it feels like maybe Disney even paid to get those bring fixed it up. up. A notch, yeah, yep. bring bring the dentures up a notch, or maybe they just worked with her in the sound booth a little bit more. All right, Carrie, let's let's actually put some effort into articulating our. I think she's a feminist, and she probably just enjoyed. Probably it was as simple as giving her something that she wanted to play that she liked. She just wasn't interested in doing those. You can just tell she's checked out in Force Awakens, and she's not here. It's nice. So that's a way of playing to her strengths, and he needed to find a way to do that with Mark Hamill. The fact is Leia from The Last Jedi gets Carrie Fisher another role. Yes. Right? Like, like oh, we need the tough talking granny. Let's bring in Carrie Fisher. She's right. back and she's bad. Leia from Force Awakens we put up with out of nostalgia and loyalty to the franchise. And barely put up with. And it's kind of unpleasant. It's painful. Yeah. But the Leia from The Last Jedi is oh, I know who we need for this film. We need to bring Carrie Fisher back. Carrie Fisher was going to go on her you know, her next tour, we had the potential to have a Carrie Fisher year like we've had a Keanu. Oh, yeah. Like is she, oh, it's Carrie Fisher's. There she is in the Netflix thing doing her Carrie Fisher thing. Uh, yep. Oh, there she is with Fallon. Uh, yeah, she could have had one of those. Yeah, it's too bad. It's nice that she got to go out on a higher note than Force Awakens. It would have been very sad if Force Except Awakens. Except they're going to use a bunch of Force Awakens takes. Yeah, that for, That's too bad. And we'll all be expected to pretend like it's nostalgic and Great. lovely and it'll just be off-putting and gross. Uh, speaking of Carrie Fisher, let's talk about the very next scene in the movie, which is uh, Poe comes in expecting the hero's red carpet to be laid for him and she slaps him across the face. At what cost? There were heroes on that mission. Dead heroes. No leaders. Not every problem is solved by jumping in the next wing and blowing something up. But that's exactly what you complain about with every other movie or film or 
book or series or whatever. It's the Harry Potter complaint, right? Like discipline Harry Potter. We complained about that. That was probably our top one of our top three complaints about Harry Potter would have been like the ending of Harry Potter isn't quite there. And then that, that Harry gets his godfather killed and then Dumbledore's like, it was my fault. It's all my fault. Actually, everything's okay. You were right all along, Harry. Mm No. I like that Dumbledore is played by a Kermit the Frog (laughs) in this particular. You were right all along. (laughs) Hi-ho, Harry. (laughs) So... Yeah, but, but also, like, note, neither me and Jake can do a good Kermit the Frog. Not, not so good at Kermit the Frog. Ben's also right here. He could probably give us a good Kermit the Frog. I imagine he could. But so one of the things that we said we loved and, you know, one of the best things about the Narnia books is that. We said this a million times if you listen to our Narnia episodes. The kids get disciplined. They, they screw d- things up. And then Aslan comes in and is like, you were wrong. You should be afraid. Yeah. So what none of the Star Wars movies actually have is discipline. You could make the same case about Star Wars franchise in general mm-hmm. that you make about Harry Potter. Han Solo just does whatever Han does, and he always gets away with it. Uh, I'll make a small counter argument that I think some of our listeners might make, which is probably a he got good frozen one. in carbonite, idiot. But, yeah, he, no, 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 <laughs> not so much that. Star Wars is very much in the mold of the classic '80s, '90s action. Oh, the boss is telling me to turn around. I'm going to turn off the intercom and be a hero, baby. But I would say some of the power of the Yoda-Luke stuff in Empire does derive from the fact that Luke keeps messing up and Yoda keeps being disappointed. I think that's the one. But, that's the one. But p- what happens yes, is that Yoda this is, doesn't. This is the counter. This is the counter. Yoda argument. doesn't discipline, and what happens is Luke goes away, does his thing, comes back, and Yoda's like, "You've learned everything. You've." Yeah, they throw that away in Return of the Jedi. But in Empire, in the Empire, taken as its own thing, it actually feels pretty good because he gets his hand cut off, and it's like you probably should have listened to. Yeah, Yoda. but also, oh, you've learned everything you need to be. Yeah, nothing Jedi. more must you learn from me. It, yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So here's the thing. Our flyboy, he takes an, a, a tremendous risk. He shuts off his comm. Mm-hmm. He obe- disobeys a direct order. He loses all the bombers from this small resistance fleet. And all that happens to him for getting all these people killed as he gets demoted this is pretty light discipline, actually. And he gets a he gets a little verbal, he gets a slap in the face, mm-hmm. a verbal lashing, and a demotion. You know, that's that's execution in in normal military terms, right? Like, like but for a Star Wars movie, it feels like we could at least give them like, yeah, well, you've said these movies never have any discipline. We got the scene right. He didn't just get away. He wasn't just allowed to be. And you know, should shouldn't Jake be happy that his kids watching this movie are being told? When you're insubordinate and you switch the intercom off when dad is telling you something or mom is telling you something, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. You'll get in trouble. So, yes, Jake, to answer your original question, I do always complain about that. And so do you. Yeah. I did not feel very vindicated by this movie. Did you? Or by this scene in this movie? No. Part of it is just the construction of the movie. The movie said... You want him to turn the intercom off. Mm-hmm. You want him to blow up the dreadnought. You want it to have some heroic sacrifice. And then the movie turned around and said, you are wrong and you are an idiot. Poe's not getting disciplined. We are as the audience. Yeah. Right? I, yeah. I don't like that in movies. It's like the, the pacifist character in the action movie, the, the character who's like, I will not do pull out my Kung Fu, you know, the Mr. Miyagi kind of cliche. Yeah. I really don't like that. It's like, I'm here to see him. I paid good money to see him kick people, and he's going to lecture me about how he shouldn't kick people? 
after, but yeah, ex- well, and it's even yeah, it's even worse. It's well, yeah. Well, the the movie is like yeah, it's like Mr. Miyagi's. I'm going to teach you how to kick people, but I refuse to do it myself. Right, right. And then I'm going to discipline you for when you. So the movie is saying to you. This is what we want, right? This is the good thing. The good thing to do here would be to blow up. The good thing to do here would be the right thing to do. Right, 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 right guys, right? Isn't it the right thing to nope. do to do the, isn't it? Isn't it? Come on, it is, right? Everything says it's right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah woohoo, yay. He's hilarious, he's awesome, he's you know amazing and they blew it up and it's awesome and there was this wonderful, and we teared up because this emotional sacrifice mm. and wow, cool, right, right? Right guys, right, 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 nope. And, and so when Leia slaps Poe in the face, Ryan Johnson is slapping all of us in the face. It's a really unfair thing to do as an author, as a director, as a... It's just such a cheap shot to your audience. I can't think of any specific examples, but I think we've all seen the movies where it's like nonstop violence for 90 minutes. And then in the last five minutes, the characters are like, well, violence is never the answer. It's like, yes, it is. You just told me it's the answer. You just killed the crap out of a million guys. It's totally the answer. Now you're going to lecture me about how it's not the... I can't think of a good example. Maybe kind of a little bit the Bourne movies. Poor Jason Bourne. He sure doesn't want to use his skills. But it's like, (laughs) we really want him to use his skills. Don't make me feel bad about him using his skills. I like it when he uses his skills. I paid good money to watch him use his skills. I don't know. I don't have a good example. But Well, it's it's actually, it's a lot like operas. Mm Mm-hmm. They have their own sort of like since uh, uh, Catholic movie censors mm-hmm. from back in the day, and so what they'll do is they'll like Mozart, oh, sure, yeah. Mozart especially. You know, he'll spend every single scene of an opera reveling in salacious garbage, and then he'll get to the last scene and he'll throw in a scene where there's like a judgment scene and there's a declaration that it was all sin and terrible and awful, and this is the price that we all pay in order to revel in salacious humor and grossness for you know i'll tell you who the uh, hypocritical master of that in the 20th century was that a lot of our listeners will have watched try watching the 10 commandments with charleston heston again and realize what a salacious hollywood movie that is and how much time that movie takes with you know all the busty ladies reveling under the golden calf and watch the cinematic language and see how much see how interested the movie is in um those ladies and all that stuff. And he was able to get away with it precisely because he had, he came out at the beginning and said, the greatest story that mankind, you know, Cecil B. Benilla, if I'm remembering correctly, it's been years, but I think he, he literally introduces the movie himself in a suit and a tie, telling us how it's the greatest Bible story. And there's all these funny epics from the fifties where they would do Bible stories. And it was, they're, they're like the naughtiest movies of those eras because because they can get away with it because they slap a moral on the end and they say it's a Bible story. And then, you know, let's hang out in Sodom and Gomorrah for an hour and 90 a half. minutes. Yeah. yeah. Same kind of thing. We're going, but it works, doesn't it? I mean, it, it works for the, it, well, for a so certain kind of the, audience. It works. That kind of thing works because that audience says, I know what you're, what I came for is bad. You know what you, what you're showing me is bad. And so then let's have a little bit of conscience cleansing catharsis at the end where we all acknowledge fun as it was, it was bad after all. It's the old hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. Let's all get get together and pretend like we're doing this for noble reasons. We're watching the opera, not because we want to see the society lady sleep with everybody, but because we want to see her judged. Yeah, let's all pretend that. But that's not what Johnson's doing. 
What Johnson's doing is like, I'm just going to punish you for liking this sort of thing. I think that there's actually two different audiences for the movie. I think one of them is just the average Star Wars fan, and they do feel punished, and I feel punished. Oh, cool. Everything that I liked about A New Hope, like when they just attacked the Death Star and it was fun, is actually toxic masculinity or something. Uh, But then I think he's actually also doing the hypocrisy thing, is the tribute that Vice plays to Virtue thing, with the progressive audience, who are all supposed to say, oh, you know what? Actually, we don't like it when men just go on death runs like that. Like, actually, Poe was being kind of a jerk. And thank you for acknowledging, you know, so few. I I always read this uh, entertainment website called IndieWire, and every other article is praising the new trans this or the new liberal progressive this. And I think they'd be the first ones to thank Ryan Johnson and to feel very validated by the fact that the movie is having your cake and letting you eat it too or whatever. But, you know. You get the the coolest, you know, X-Wing solo mission of all time. mm -hmm. You get these bomber missions. You get all this stuff. All this drama with BB-8 in his head. That was fun. Right. And then you get to feel bad about it afterwards. Right. I, I think that they're actually paying. They actually want to feel bad about it. I think the Matrix sequels were a little bit ahead of their time in this. I think people didn't like them because they were ahead of their time. But those movies are actually about how Neo... I think those movies actually do what Last Jedi did, and they do it better, and they do it before Last Jedi. Have you ever seen those before? Yeah. So the whole thing is that like Neo and the machines need to stop fighting, and the real reason he's the savior is because he can integrate with the machines and take down this third threat that is Agent Smith yep. or whatever. The virus. And at the end of the movie is we all need to learn to live in harmony the matrix doesn't need to be destroyed like the end of the first matrix it's like i'm coming for you matrix i'm flying yeah cool yeah and then those 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 two sequels exist to tell you no actually the matrix is its own thing and we all we all just need to get along get along the if the human zion can't oppress the matrix any more than the matrix can oppress zion they need to figure out a way to Coexist. Coexist. Yeah. Hashtag coexist. Yeah. If th- that movie came out today, I think maybe people would feel a little, people would, society's actually kind of caught up or, or regressed up <laughs> to be able to like it. It felt de- pretty deflating back then. That's exactly what The Last Jedi does. And it very much pats people on the back who, who want that sort of thing. But I don't know. I guess we're saying we don't want that sort of thing, eh? Well, I'm happy for a guy like Poe Dameron to be disciplined. Mm-hmm. Me too. What I don't like is the betrayal of which is ultimately uh, i really don't know how much you're you're uh, that's a fine take but i don't know how how true it is of that that he was just providing a little catharsis to to liberals to progressives to to, to, to liberals to allow them to get away oh, with no, no. liking it let i me, think though no, he hates us for liking that sort let of me, thing. let me let me let me refine it a little bit i think he hates us for liking that sort of thing i think the intended the way the movie is designed the way the machine is built you are supposed to be in that cockpit with Poe, you were supposed to be excited about it. This is supposed to be really cool. And then you were supposed to be shocked when the, when it hard cuts to Poe getting slapped across the face. Yep. And that slap is meant for you. What I also think is that when you do something like that, there is a whole group of people that you can say, hey, guys, I slapped us. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Don't I we deserve that? I think that's that? true. I, you know, there's a sense in which a good parable teller. You are the man, Nathan the prophet. Gotcha. Gotcha. I had you so invested in this story. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. But here's the thing that Nathan the Prophet didn't do. Hey, David, I know your favorite genre 
is sheep stories. Would you like to pay me 10 bucks so that I can tell you the coolest, newest sheep story? I mean, this is the dumbest, <laughs> this is the dumbest analogy ever. <laughs> Would you like to enter into a contract with me wherein you sit and listen and I tell you a great sheep story? Okay, cool. By the way, you're dumb for wanting a sheep. That's, I mean, that's a terrible way of articulating it. But <laughs> Ryan Johnson is willing to take your money when you pay him to tell you the coolest fighter pilot story of all time in space. And then he wants to tell you that you're wrong for wanting it. And he's going to, you know, his grandkids will go to college because you wanted to see, not because you wanted to be slapped in the face, but because you wanted to see a cool space fighter pilot take initiative and blow stuff up. I think there's a version of this where Poe does it and we feel like he's disciplined without the audience necessarily. Being disciplined? Being disciplined. I mean, for goodness sake, Top Gun does it. Like, oh, yeah. Top you... Gun just makes you feel some tension in the moment. Oh, no, he shouldn't be doing this awesome thing, but and it might go bad, but he's going to do the awesome thing. Is it going to work out for him or not? I don't know. He, I know he's going to get yelled for it afterwards, mm-hmm. but maybe it's the awesome right thing to do anyway in the moment. Like, ah. And sometimes in Top Gun, sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not the right thing to do. Either way, he's going to get yelled at it because he's not following orders or protocol. All you have to do is just establish and keep the tension alive. Well, and the way a movie like Top Gun works is Maverick is going to do the most insane, awesome stuff, and it's going to be something that he shouldn't do, and is he's going to get reamed out by his supervisor or whatever. And then at the end of the movie, he's going to do the most insane, awesome stuff, but this time... It's going to be right. It's going to be the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that trope barely makes sense. Like the first Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland, it's like, you disobeyed Iron Man, and you're going to be yelled at for it and your suit's going to get taken away. And then what you need to do is learn your lesson and and disobey Iron Iron Man. Man. (laughs) (laughs) But that trope is so ingrained that we don't even think about it. Like, it's fine. It it works. It makes emotional sense if it doesn't make logical sense. Like, of course Iron Man would be pleased with you because it's the part of the movie where you take what he's learned, taught you, and apply it. And this time it works, which I guess you could argue happens with Poe, but... It is what happens with Poe. You've got another suicide mission where everybody's going to die, but maybe somebody's going to take out the weapon, but mm-hmm. everybody's going to die. And at a certain point, instead of being the hotshot, who's going to make sure that we see the mission through, he's like, wait a minute, we're all just going to die. Let's go back. And yeah. then Finn's like, nope. Yep. I guess what feels bad about this movie is the movie taken as a whole. Maybe the Leia scene could actually exist in isolation. The the dumb thing about that whole, the, what makes it dumber is that Oh, we're they're picking us off left and right. We'll never make it. We're all just gonna get picked off. Let's all go back. They all fall back. So now only one ship mm-hmm. is going for the cannon, and they can't manage to pick off that one ship. Oh, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Rose comes out of nowhere, somehow manages to get ahead of him and be able to hit him from the side that without getting pit- so, picked off. So dumb. <laughs> Everything about it is retarded. Yep. Uh, but what you have to do in a Top Gun type type movie is say. Here's where taking risks and showing initiative is good, and here's where it's bad. What this movie kind of does is say- Risks and initiative? Pretty much bad. Pretty much bad. Yeah. If you're a dude, at least. Yep. Well, that's the other thing. But I don't know, because permission to get in a ship and blow some stuff up, permission granted. Yeah. I just think it's muddled messaging. I just think in any given scene, Ryan Johnson wants to trick you 
play on your expectations and that's what he finds to be entertaining i'm not sure it actually adds up to much of a cohesive message except for that you end up feeling like initiative and risk is bad because you've got too many scenes where dudes try and take it and it's dumb <coughs> except for when haldo does it it's fine she had no choice she had no choice she, she had knew. to protect what she loved she was in the she was in the right she's in a position to know and make those kinds of decisions and Cap, did he get demoted from what commander to captain or something? Something like that. Captain Dameron wasn't, and he wasn't because he had shown a lack of discretion when he was a commander. And so the line of authority is clear. He forfeited his right to be in the know, and then he doubled down on his mistake and ended up getting the rest of the resistance crushed so that all that's left is what can fit into the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, that's pretty sad. Pretty sad. It's all on him. Yep. He sucks. He sucks. He'll learn his lesson, though, and he'll win the day in yep. the next movie. Yep. I'm sure I'm glad he led some people through a tunnel, though, in, in this movie. And got supported by Leia in the process. Oh, man. When you're going to when you're gonna have somebody learn a lesson for doing something awesome, I think when he repents, his repentance has to be of a commensurate awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't, like, oh, you blew up a dreadnought and that was bad. You need to, like, repent and then blow up another... Dreadnought. Dreadnought. You can't just repent and lead people through a boring corridor. Well, Holdo's the one who gets to blow up the Dreadnought. She does. Yeah, she does it the right way. Shh. You want to talk about the word boring? I don't even really want to talk about the sex politics of this movie because it's something that the internet's so thoroughly bent over and we've certainly been over it more than once. You don't want to talk about the lesbian coding of Leia and Holdo's relationship? <sighs> Well, we're not even there yet, Jake. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> uh, do you feel good about, I, I guess I have to ask, how do you feel about the fact that it's Leia being the one that's- Bad, bad. I feel bad about that. Thanks for asking. But would you feel okay about it if you just swapped Leia out with the guy, you sexist pig? I feel pig? much better about it. Yes, I am a sexist pig. Why justify yourself? Why should I? You justify yourself. Uh, no, I, I didn't say it. <laughs> I'm just asking questions, man. <laughs> Why do I have to be the one who <laughs> sticks his neck out on all these things, huh? Uh, uh, I'm the expert and you've got to interview me? Okay. I it's just this simple. I mean, it's this simple. Well, let me, let me actually say this. I'm not actually sure I'd have a problem with the scene if it wasn't for the rest of the movie. Well, it is Finn and Rose that ruin everything. I mean, really, truly, utterly ruin everything. Yeah, you know, here I'll 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 be I'll take my first I'll I'll go first in sticking my neck out here. There's a creation order when the Apostle Paul says, "I do not permit a woman to exercise an authority over a man." He is talking there in the context of the church, but he is looking to a broader creation order. Adam was created first. Yep. Women are more easily dece deceived. Women should not exercise authority over a man. This scene in the movie is a violation of that. The more scenes in movies like that that you have, the more you're the emotional sort of grammar of how you feel about women being over men and women being in charge and all that sort of thing just sort of gets rewritten and you, you yep. accept it a little bit more and you have a little bit less of a problem with it every time you see a scene like that and it's garbage. Yeah, I think it's garbage. And I think that part of what the movie is being sophisticated about punishing you for is when the man disregards the woman's orders to take a risk, obviously the man is right, wrong idiot. How dare you think that way? Mm -hmm. We caught you being sexist. It wasn't simply a question just of authority and obedience to authority. We caught you being sexist in that moment. 
and we're going to discipline you for that. And we set you up to be sexist, and then we got to say that thou art the man. Right. Thou art the mansplainer. If, you know what, the fact is, they're having a woman in a position of authority where she is giving orders to not take risks introduces a level of ambiguity into what's happening that should not be there and would not be there if we were simply following the creation order. If a man is on the other end of that comm, giving the order to retreat. Then we understand this is a person who is designed by God to take risks and is capable of taking risks. And has decided. And has decided this is not the risk to take. Exactly. But instead, we have a woman who is not made to take and bear the burden of these kinds of risks. Of course, ordering that no further risks be taken. Mm-hmm. And so, what a woman would do. It does, so then you have to question, is she right or wrong? Instinctively, you ask that question. Is she just being risk averse? Now, can a man be risk averse? Men are risk averse all the time, but that's not the point. The point is when a, when a general is making that call and that general is a man. We don't have to ask the question. We don't have to ask the question. But the movie wants How else us, did he get to be a general? The movie wants us to ask the question and then it wants to say, as you just said, oh, well, how, how, dare, d- how dare you ask how that dare question? You? Women are capable of giving orders and stuff. Like, come on. And so then, you know, if it's a man on the other end of that line and then you come back and you're expecting it. Like if it's a man who said, no, retreat, that's an order and they still sink the dreadnought and the whole ship's decimated, you know it's just going to be the ex- You know he's going to get disciplined for that. It doesn't matter what he did that's good or bad. He's going to get disciplined for it. He may get disciplined for it at the very least like uh, Prince Corin gets disciplined for going into the battle. Right. You know, where his dad's sort of obviously yeah, I, proud of him for going into battle anyway. Right. Or he may just get hung out to dry, but he's going to get, so he's not going to escape some kind of discipline. Right. We're going to feel like he deserves it. And we're going to feel like the discipline is more than just a scolding, you right. know? I mean, that's the other thing that's icky about this is that, Leia, like, as far as we in movie terms understand it, sure, Haldo doesn't want to give him information, but that feels more like a function of her just not wanting to give him information. She says, you're demoted. And then she sa- and then a minute later, she says, go do your stuff. It feels like I want you to feel bad. Right. It's not, it's not the discipline of lock him in the barracks. Yeah, I mean, if we're on like an actual uh, Navy or ship him, in the 18th the century, brig. this is like a flogging or something. <laughs> right. And it's not like, I really want you to feel the pain of the flogging. It's just like, well, go to the brig or go yeah. get, yeah, or you're demoted or this isn't really about. And it's going to be public because you flaunted uh, orders. And this isn't about and me and this isn't about you and this isn't our, about our relationship. This is about everybody here needs to understand when I give an order. You obey the order. You obey the order. Period. End of discussion. I don't care who you are. Right. With Leia and Poe, it's entirely personal. Interpersonal. It's relational. I'm mad at you because you didn't listen to me. Not I stand as a representative of of God's authority. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it. <sighs> well, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more with, in fact, we will unavoidably talk about this a little bit more when we get to Haldo. But yep. we're not even there yet, Jake. Yeehaw. We got to talk through, we'll, we'll go a little bit faster here. So you have what the internet likes to call Carrie Poppins, the Carrie Poppins scene. Uh, <laughs> That's good. Ren flies in. He blows everything up. I don't know. If, stop me if you want to say anything about any of this. Can't pull the trigger. Can't pull the trigger except for he. Then he pulls the trigger. Not on the bridge. Does he not? Who actually blows up the bridge? 
the his wingman. He has he's in the middle. He's got two wingmen, tie mm-hmm. fighters. He actually does not cannot pull the trigger on the bridge, and so we shoot out to a wide shot, and his two tie fighter friends pull the trigger, and then we cut back to him, and he's still st- sitting there with his hand on the stick. That's right. I think I went to the bathroom or something like that. And then we have the scene that everybody seems to have hated on the internet, which is Carrie Poppins. I have to admit, I thought that was really cool. I liked that from the first moment. I didn't mind it at all. When I said there were two moments that I might want to go back for to see this movie a second time in theaters, it would have been Poe takes on the Dreadnought at the very beginning and actually Carrie Poppins because it's kind of a cool new force power and the John Williams Leia theme comes in, which is one of his best. She just floats down and I, I just like to see Jedi do interesting Jedi mystical masters of Jedi arts kind of stuff. You yeah, say, she should have died right away, but the force, man. She's got the force. Yeah, she's got the force. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the force just being a nebulous thing that can do whatever it needs to in the movie and exists to allow people to do cool <laughs> things. It's a deus ex machina period. Yeah, it really, that's fine. The more we try and define, well, the force can do this and the force can't, the more I check out. It's like, nah, the force can just do whatever you need it to. That's why it's called the force. And if you need it to feel a little bit more religious, you can have Donnie Yen say a mantra. And if you need it to feel a little more Hindu here, it's fine. If you need to, it's, it exists as an all purpose. It's the buffet of, of movie religions. It's just there to do whatever it needs to do. Uh, let's see. Then Luke sees R2 and R2 plays a little thing. Yep. We already said that's a nice scene. Yep. Good scene. And then I guess we can have part two of our other discussion of our, of our sex politics discussion because we get to introduce the longest necked, probably besides the kimono, is that their names? Kaminoan. Kaminoans. Besides the Kaminoans, I'm going to say Haldo has the longest neck in the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> She's got... Uh, there's some other guys out there. With yeah. Legs. I guess those the thing that Luke milked has a decently Sick, long... Because a long neck. Yeah, there's there's some other... So Haldo shows up and she's, I've dealt with a bunch of trigger happy flyboys like you. Go home, Laura Dern. Go home, yeah. <laughs> Go back to the kitchen, Laura Dern. That's what Sound of Sanity says. John Hammond isn't the only one that should know his way around a, a kitchen. <laughs> um, I said earlier that this scene is perfectly written and it really actually is. And it's supposed to pull the rug out from your feet and be like, actually, Holdo was great. That part I don't like so much. Yeah. But the idea of how much it sucks to be under a female boss who won't tell you anything. Yep. Man, I have been there, Jake. I can only speak anecdotally, but I have been there so many times in my life have I had a woman boss who is exactly like Holdo. Uh, They would be very threatened by risk-taking and male initiative, Mm -hmm. which holdo does do and then they would not really be able to distinguish between what good is like all risk-taking would be bad and so what you effectively ended up having in these jobs was you'd have men that would kind of figure out how to take you'd, you'd actually have just poe dameron's and it wouldn't be the poe dameron's faults necessarily because what would happen is the big company directive would be like get more sales so then poe would like take more take risks to get more sales and then Holdo would come along and say, uh, we don't take any risks to, or, or show any initiative. We shouldn't do that to take sales, to get more sales. And, and, and by the way, you're smoking in an undesignated mm-hmm. area. Poe would be like, well, I want to submit to you and everything, but I'm supposed to find ways to get more find sales. Find ways to get more sales, aren't I? Well, yeah, you should. Why, why are you, aren't you getting more sales? 
well, because I'm I'm not allowed to take risks. Well, no, you're not. I mean, those these these conversations. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to clip this out because it just sounds like I'm complaining about like the fact that I hated authority. But I'm just telling you, I've seen it happen over and over and over and over and over again in different places, in different social strata, in different kinds of jobs. Mm-hmm. And Hodo uh, rings completely true to that. I mean, it feels like the character that Laura Dern's playing is Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah, probably. But it feels like it's very self-righteous, you know, like, I wouldn't tell you, even if it made sense to tell you the plan, I wouldn't tell you the plan, because why would you, why do you need to know the plan? That's dumb. It's neat to know, and you don't, or it's neat to know, and she doesn't. Oh, it goes both ways. It does go both ways. Hypocrite. It's a clever bit of writing. But I just think, like, Laura Dern, Poe's a pretty important and really good guy, like, if, if the only thing it takes to get him on your side is to... Tell him a little Just bit of the plan. Let him know. Yeah, like, I don't know. Seems like maybe a good manager might at least make him well, feel like he's part of things somehow. Instead of being like, guess what? You're not part of things, yeah. idiot. You know what I would do if I were the writer and I wanted to do that? Mm-hmm. I would create an additional reason for Holdo to keep all the plans tight to the vest. And yes. there's a there's a ready reason for that. Because there are actually two options for how the First Order found them. One- what we all just sort of readily assume, they tracked us through hyperspace, even though that's technologically impossible so far as we know. Occam's razor, or there's a spy. Man, it is ridiculous that they didn't do that. It actually solves a lot of problems because it introduces a lot of uncertainty into the ranks of the resistance. And so instead of just being morons, which is by the time Leia is shooting Poe with a blaster, because everybody's morons it's like this resistance deserves to die like i don't care where my sympathies are or feminism or anything if your organization has broken down so much that leia is going to have to get out of her sick bed to come shoot poe with a with her blaster set to stun eh, which is now a thing in the star wars universe i guess leia got stunned in a new hope yeah you're right you're right then these people are idiots but you introduce a spy and it's like okay the fact that they're under so much pressure, any moment they could die, and there's a spy, it's enough to buy that things could start to fall apart this way. Yeah, there are two options. Any commander worth their salt, general, whoever, is going to immediately recognize there are two options for how they found us so quickly. One, they tracked us through hyperspace, which up until now we've known to be technologically impossible. Or two, there's a spy. And then every logical general is going to take Occam's razor's approach, razor approach, Mm -hmm. and is going to say, well, it's not probable that they've invented technology that is heretofore impossible. Not nearly so probable as there being one person on these 25,000 ships that we have, however many ships there are that we have, that as soon as we stopped, radioed our coordinates. Yep. I mean, it's the old Sherlock Holmes thing. If you eliminate the impossible, then whatever remains, however improbable, is the truth. Which I guess in this, the movie's logic, the improbable thing is that they tracked them. But in either case, you don't have to depend on being tracked through hyperspace as being the reason why you don't make a second jump. Because you still can't make a second jump if there's a spy going to send out your coordinates again. Mm-hmm. Now, you can take a second jump and then monitor, you could start monitoring all transmissions or whatever. The rules are pretty fuzzy about what can and can't be monitored in Star Wars. 
but there's no reason why you couldn't say, let's monitor all transmissions, you know, and take another jump, but then you're still going to be out of fuel. And so you've taken a risk at that point, but you're trying to find a way to out your trader. But at the end of the day, then you're dead in the water. So either way, whether there's a spy or whether they tracked you through hyperspace, you have to stay on your present course. You can't take another jump. Mm -hmm. But if you just say, there's also this other option, it introduces a whole level of ambiguity into everything that he clearly had to have made a conscious choice not to do. Yeah, I would think so. And Ryan Johnson. It's such an obvious thing to do. He's not stupid. So he simply made a decision and we're going to go with everybody just buys the least probable option here because. It was probably just a decision of time as much as anything, because I think I could even see him wanting to do that because it introduces the question in the audience's minds that maybe this jerk Holdo is a spy, which actually helps the story, helps all the story beats he wants to hit better down to the fact that she's revealed to be nice. But maybe he, maybe it was just like, let's simplify this because we've already, this is a two and a half hour movie and we need to not spend too much time on this B plot. Next up, Finn meets Rose. Speaking about spending too much time on a B plot. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you say about Canto Bite. Everything with Finn and Rose. Is stupid? It's almost all stupid and takes way too long to develop. Well, it's weird because you watch a movie where at the end it turns out it was all a dream. If you're me, you're angry. Like, what a waste of time. And the argument I've heard against that is, it's a movie. Everything was fake, idiot. Right. Uh, yeah, but I want it to be real within the logic of the movie. Like, I don't know how to... Like, the end, of, the famous end of, uh, what's it called? The thing with Kaiser Sose, The Usual Suspects. Turns out Kevin Spacey was just making it up. Oh, well, okay. I guess everything, all the emotional investment that I put into the movie with all those characters was pretty stupid because they didn't exist. Well, actually, neither does Kevin Spacey's character. It's it's not, it's all a movie. Like, actually, none of it was something you should emotionally invest in. Then why did I see it in the first place? Yeah, then why did I see it in the first place, idiot? But that's how the Rose and Finn section feels like. It's like, they were trying to do stuff and it didn't work and it had no payoff. So why did I... The whole point of these movies is that I'm watching the character that, like we said last time in The Force Awakens, you don't watch The Hobbit that sets out from Middle Earth and gets eaten by Tom Bobdeville's tree because his story is stupid and short and not interesting. The whole reason to hang with Rose and Finn and Poe and all those guys is because they're the guys that are doing something. Are doing something. But it turns out they're not. They're going to do stuff. Just not yet. We're just on their journey so that they're bit, while they're being equipped to do stuff, they all have their lessons to learn. So that in the next movie, they can do stuff. What on earth did Finn learn except for that? Well, he learned something when Rose. He can't just be an angry, selfish jerk who's all about, I'm going to save Ray. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to find, I'm just going to stick it to the first order. This is from uh, Rose who released a bunch of a rampaging herd of space llamas because she just wanted to stick it to some people because she was angry at them. Space horses. I think they're more space horses than space llamas. This from Rose, who introduced, who let a herd of rampaging space horses into a group of people. I'm actually going to say what Rose does with those space llamas, llama horses, feels a little bit, Jake, like she's attacking what she hates. She really hates. And and Finn even says, like, not protecting what she loves. Although then Finn says, yeah, I think Ryan Johnson actually has me on this one because Finn says, that was great. We made him hurt. It was all worth it, right? And then the the llama runs yeah. it runs into the jungle, and she says, "Now 
Uh, she takes the saddle off the llama. Yes, yes, yes. And 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 then you got me saying llama. I'm calling them horse five years. Well, I'm calling. Fine, them. I'm, gonna get, I'm just gonna call them what they are. <laughs> five years. Okay. Five years. I'll call them what they are. Bad CGI. She takes the saddle off and then it goes and joins the herd. Now it was worth it. See, it was about freeing things that she loves. Well, not about sticking it to them. Not about yeah, sticking it to them. You're right, but not about making them pay. But it certainly did. She certainly wasn't averse to making those people pay. She did not keep the llamas from running through their casino because it's not about destroying what. Well, she set them free. They did what they did. Uh huh. I guess. Uh, let's not spend a lot of time on those sections because I don't think there is much to say besides that they're boring and they're stupid. They're Too- really boring. Yeah, I, I I don't like the Picanto Bite plot. I just think it's fun that there's a Canto Bite. A Canto Bite. Do you like Rose? It's hard to like Rose because so much of Ryan Johnson's bad philosophizing is given to her. But I I find Marie Tran, if that's her name, mm-hmm. something like that, something Kelly She's, Marie Kelly Marie Kelly Tran. Marie Tran. Yeah, I find her to be sort of naturally likable. Yes, I do too. But you know, and she gets that really cute intro doing talking. Yeah, you know. Ryan Johnson, this is a theme of Knives Out, too. He likes, like, the guileless, kind of awkward young woman. That's, that's like, his favorite character type, I think. I think he really likes them. And Rose, she's, Rose. She's, a, she's really naturally likable, and the awkward kiss is, at the end, is likable and sweet and cute. There are a lot of things about Kelly Marie Tran and her performance that are really likable. It's just that her character is a vessel for a mouthpiece for some of the crappiest for some of the worst parts of the movie and i don't have a problem necessarily with rose i don't even have a problem with rose being a llama activist a llama activist or the kind of person that would try to save finn and say something stupid as asinine as that's uh, how we we don't win by protecting (laughs) by you know whatever that stupid idiotic thing she says is like i don't mind her just so long as the movie admits that that was an asinine thing to say yeah no she should get thrown in the brig too yeah with poe absolutely uh, yeah you just condemned us all to death thanks a lot i i'm i'm with you on this one i i find her pretty likable as a character i think ryan johnson also found her likable and was like oh cool i can load her up with all my my dumb sermonizing yeah, and then I'm p- paint a great big target on her chest for absolutely everybody that hates my sermonizing, which was pretty un- pretty unfair. Yeah, and it brought some creeps out of the woodwork, and uh, nobody likes that. But <sighs> you know, here's an idea: maybe give your sermonizing to a man who can take the heat. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, actually, you know, I will say, I will say this: Kelly Marie Tran as a piece of casting is. I would say a sincere, small Hollywood victory for what they like to call representation. Yeah. And all I mean by the, that is that it's very nice to see a Asian woman who's not, you know, somebody at the time in the movie would be like, she's the girl next door. And it means she's a sex goddess with a ponytail instead of long flowing right. hair. Kelly Marie Tran is actually just the girl next like she's the f- girl that you would have been friends with in high school or she's something like that. She's the girl that would end up in engineering. And you don't actually see that girl in you see a lot of like sex goddesses playing that girl and wearing glasses so they can pretend to be her you don't actually see that girl a lot in hollywood movies so i'll I'll give them i'll give them exactly one point for that so if you're paying attention ryan johnson has one point he's actually gotten several points because he's a good he's a good craftsman how many are we gonna take away he is a good craftsman that's 
I think how we started this thing was. Yeah, I don't know. We haven't really been going on point system. We we came out of the theater, and even on the watch through. Mm -hmm. Hey, how refreshing to have a movie that's made by a a real filmmaker. Like this is just knows how to have setups and payoffs and good cinematography and. And all that really means, folks, at the end of the day is here's someone who has thought and thought well about the most effective way to use the camera to tell this story. We're not just going to have a shaky about all the details. Here's the the shot of the Star Destroyer appearing in the horizon will be a million times scarier for people than the shot of the Star Destroyer appearing in space. He just makes a series of decisions like that. Every shot is a decision like that. There's no shot that just happens by accident. And he's just clearly thinking about it, and he's clearly thinking about it in a really smart way. Yeah, there's there are so many lazy decisions that could have been made that he did not take. We have seen the Star Destroyer, and it's just one that you can key on, mm-hmm. but it is a representative one. There are lots of decisions like this throughout the whole movie. Like we've seen Star Destroyers just show up in space before, right? And we've seen them pop, 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 and have eight or ten of them, and we're going to see it later in the movie. Mm-hmm. But what we haven't seen is the start is from the ground. Mm-hmm. That's a nice. It's just a really nice, smart decision. Yeah, it's great, and he's he does that constantly. Well, let's see. This podcast is going to be longer than the movie. Yeah, that's okay. I we won't spend a lot more time on Rose and Finn. I think we've pretty much said hate it all. Hate it all. I personally hate Benicio del Toro. I don't know how you feel about him. I like Benicio del Toro as an actor, fine, and I actually don't mind the character of Benicio del Toro. I just think if you're going to write a part that's like the Benicio del Toro part for this, for a Star Wars movie. Don't make don't, it a throwaway part? No. I think just don't cast. I think Benicio del Toro, it's like, oh, it's Benicio del Toro playing the Benicio del Toro it's part. Distracting. Yeah, don't yeah. cast Benicio del Toro to play Benicio del Toro. Cast some guy I've never heard of to play Benicio del Toro. Yeah. You know, you could like write it like this is in Benicio del Toro's rhythms and everything, but just get just get some other guy to do it. I felt it was distracting uh, the first time through and a waste. And the second time through, I thought, why not? I thought, it's Star Wars. It's lavish. Be lavish. Who cares? It's a pretty great performance, a pretty distinct. Let's give him ticks. You know, I love that kind of thing in Marvel movies. Like, we've got the money. We're going to hire the best. You know, it's going to be William Hurt is going to play random senator guy. Robert Redford will be the evil you know we're gonna cat we're gonna go way above and beyond what this material deserves actually yeah i like that kind of thing in marvel i found it a little distracting here star wars has just always been populated with unknown character actors some of them have gone on to become harrison ford and things like this but generally speaking you just get the person that people don't really know that well you know i think even the new ones liam neeson and ewan mcgregor they're stars but they're not star stars i guess you could argue neither is benicio del toro but he just kind of stuck out to me liam neeson's a much bigger star than benicio del toro well he was for a minute and a half but he was when that would have been before taken yeah but what 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 about ewan mcgregor he'd already done moulin rouge and some other things i don't know know. ewan mcgregor is just so right for the role that you can it doesn't matter just get him no matter what are my rules fair and are they self-consistent Yeah, that's a bad performance that really shouldn't be in the movie. And it only exists because Samuel L. Jackson was a star, not because he's good. My rules, arbitrary, not fair. 
and they punish Benicio del Toro, but don't punish Ewan McGregor. I don't know why. If we're going to just finish off the Rose Finn stuff, it does take us through the exciting confrontation with that great character, Captain Phasma. We've been waiting Uh, for years. We've been waiting, waiting to see that face off. Yeah. Literally, like our mask comes yeah, off. Like, yeah, it's waste of waste of screen space. Waste of screen space. Yeah. Plus, these villains. BB-8 man. though, he gets to drive an oh, ATST. I wanted to talk about that evil. <laughs> I got a big kick out of the evil BB-8. I love. I call him <laughs> BB Hate. That was the name <laughs> I came up with him. <laughs> the black. You're so clever. <laughs> BB Hate. He's like I get such a kick out of egalitarian hero villain matchup in the old movies it was always that there was an evil girl just so the girl would have someone to fight they even did this in the new lion king nala needs someone to fight so shinzi's gonna be yeah super scary super big fan of it it's crappy and terrible but i get a big kick out of it all right so we're back with did uh, you think it was hilarious when they just put a trash can on top of bb8 and he looked like any other droid that you might have (laughs) (laughs) that actually was pretty fun that was cute (laughs) i like that so let's go back to the important stuff, though. Ray is getting trained by Luke. We have the scene where he's got the leaf. She's like channeling the force oh. and we see like the seeds and death and decay. And it, yeah. it's all this weird kind of cinematography that we've never After seen the in joke Star Wars. Of, do you feel that? Do you feel that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reach out. She reaches out with her hand. That's actually kind of a cool scene, that's I think. I li- and I like the cutaways. That's a pretty the- Yoda move. Yes, that's very Yoda. And that's, that is what you want. You want a trickster mentor. That's a Star Wars trope. And that's a Joseph Campbell trope. But you just don't want him to also be a grumpy jerk. My wife was very bothered by the fact that Ray is wearing perfect lipstick during her entire training montage. It's and the force. It's the force. She's just using force. It's another force power in this movie. Yeah. The ability to make the midichlorians apply perfect makeup. Well, you don't even have to apply makeup. You just look like you're wearing it. Oh, is that what it is? It was yeah, like a trick. Yeah, it's a force power. It's a force trick. Mm, this People is looking at you think face that, you're looking for. That's right. You're looking for. That's a nice trip or trick. Yeah. Don't you wish you had the force ladies? Yeah. I, I wish I did. Yeah, me too. I could be, I could take off a hundred pounds that way. Why didn't Holdo use the force to get rid of her giraffe neck? Because Holdo is not skilled in the ways of the force. Well, there you go. Luke says it didn't scare me enough. Goes off to pout some more. Really likable character. Yeah. Sneering homeless Luke. Uh, Luke also mouth open a lot in this movie. Gaping. I've noticed that you've said probably at least three dozen times, mouth open like a homeless person. Yes. Luke's, well, I but I've never just said it, said it. So let me say it now. Luke spends a lot of this movie standing there slack jawed. Like, yep. Like a guy that doesn't know how to close his mouth. Yep. And the reason I will continue to bring attention to this is because I think Ryan Johnson just really does not want you to like Luke or something. I don't know. I, I don't even care to speculate, but it would have been a very simple thing to say, close your mouth and you'll look like a dignified person who's in pain instead of a idiot that hates Ray and is confused. And they didn't do that. And I find that, that, I find that fascinating. I find it absolutely fascinating. Ray trains with her staff. She cuts the rock in half. Stop me if you have anything exciting to say about it in this stuff. It knocks the fishwives wheelbarrow over. Yep. And they're sad. That's funny. Is it though? I don't know. Jake, what do you think? Is that funny? Oh, yeah. It's funny. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay, good. Luke talks about the Jedi. The legacy of the Jedi is failure, hypocrisy, hubris. Mm. True or false? True. That is true. Yeah. She definitely should have taken Kylo Ren's hand then at the end, right? No. You don't think she should have? No. The legacy of the Jedi is failure, hypocrisy, and hubris. Yeah. 
So why would you want to join an order, order that's full of failure, hypocrisy, and hubris? Because your master knows that that's the case. And who's your master? Luke. Yeah, he told her not to do it. Then he decided to train her anyway. No, he didn't. He trained her for exactly one scene and then he stalked off and said, it didn't scare me enough. He never gave her any substantial. There is no reason that Ray should bat an eye when Luke Skywalker dies. She should not be sad. This is just a mean, slack-jawed jerk that was never in the least bit kind to her. A young lady that never had a daddy. Why would Luke be sad when Yoda died? Because Yoda was... Taking him in hand. Taking him in hand and was magically more nice before he died. There's a lot that doesn't make sense about the final Yoda scene in Return of the Jedi, including the fact that they're both warm with each other. I will admit that. But I think we're supposed to just accept they like each other now. So we can't accept that? Nope. There are movies that deserve the benefit of a doubt because they're good in other ways. And there are movies that don't deserve the benefit of a doubt. Certainly a movie that is telling you how smart it is and complex and savvy it is. Deserves to be held up to that level of scrutiny. There you go. This movie is telling you how smart and savvy and complex it is. Deserves to be held to that. Do you like the pit of despair when she goes in there? No. It doesn't really feel like that scene's about anything. I was like, I was kind of confused by it. Oh, because we do the Citizen Kane shot where there's multiple reflections. Iterations upon iterations upon iterations. And when you finally get to the end, who's there? She's a clown. I don't think she's a clown. No, I don't think so. I just don't think that that would make emotional sense. Well, with the dark side... Remember, it's a dark side place. And what Ben tells her, or excuse me, Kylo Ren tells her is forget everybody but yourself. You need to rely on yourself. You are all you need. Once you get past having a daddy, things will be great. One way to interpret the cave, the dark side cave. Luke also went into the dark side cave and had to face himself. Hmm. So. Would have liked to have seen that scene. Luke went into the dark side cave and had to face his fear, Vader, but Vader's him. And when Ray went into the dark side cave, she had to face her past, but her past wasn't going anywhere. It was only just her. And then she went and called her boyfriend and explained it all to him. Yep. Did you buy the relationship between those two, Driver and Ridley? Yeah. I did too. Wanting to be insulting to Daisy Ridley, I think she's a fine young actress. Adam Driver is a really good actor, and he puts a lot more into that relationship than, now to be fair, she's playing kind of a character that can't do as much character that's more square but all she can square and also naive but aware of her naivety she has every reason to be i mean come on he's freaking kylo ren right she She has has every reason to be he's locked her into a chair and tried to torture her right he's fought and tried to kill her she has every reason to be mistrusting of him he has nothing to lose and he knows what he's about he was trained by luke skywalker and by supreme leader snoke in the Mm -hmm. ways of the force like he's able to find his feet yeah, I yes, I think that's absolutely fair. And they fair. touch. Yeah. And so then, they can touch each other. And then Luke comes in and... Blows the hut to bits. Mm-hmm. But I think we've already kind of talked about the Luke trajectory, which is all we would end up talking about. We've spent enough time on the flashbacks and stuff. Let's get to the scene with Yoda. Yay. Puppet Yoda shows up to teach. So is Ray already gone? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, is there anything yeah, else you want to say about that? That is cool that Luke caught himself with the Force. When does he catch himself with the Force? Rays, they're fighting in the rain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that scene just felt kind of sad to me. Like, kind of the same thing as the infighting in between Haldo and it's like, wow, is this this is really the good guys. Really inspiring space opera here, guys. It's complicated. Yeah, but I just... Relationships are complicated. Good side, bad side, complicated, compromised. Benicio Del Zoro told us all about it. Yeah, I just 
It didn't feel like it was all that complicated in the old Star Wars. Yeah, but that's because you're stupid. Yeah, I guess and I George Lucas stupid. was stupid. We're all stupid. Yeah. Ryan Johnson's the only one who knows. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Fairy, Grimm's Fairy Tales was stupid, and Joseph Campbell was stupid, and The Hero's Journey is stupid. Well, the only the, he especially gets it because he writes this amazing scene with Yoda. Pass on your failures. We are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters. What do you think about that? It's a pretty good lesson, I guess. I think it's a pretty good lesson. I think he should have also said, it also helps if you can have the heart of your pupil, though. You <laughs> slack-jawed jerk. Like, <laughs> guess what? Ray's not going to be very interested in passing on what you had to teach because you weren't very nice to her. Also, Luke, I don't know why I'm having this conversation with you because you just need to go die now. You should really go die. And the fact that you suddenly decided that you were interested in those old books after not being interested in them. You've, uh, yeah, you've actually blown us. But that was Yoda's joke. Yoda's joke was... Let me call your bluff. I'm calling your bluff. The real Luke Skywalker will out when the tree's on fire, and it did. No! Yeah. Petulant, petulant brat from Empire Strikes Back will rear his head again. Yay! You know what? Show a towel then, Ryan Johnson. Show us from the beginning of the movie that Luke is bluffing, that he actually still has a heart. You know, Casablanca, like we see a series of scenes where Humphrey Bogart wants to be cynical and cool. But Can I just point out for half a second yes. that you are comparing a Star Wars movie to one of the greatest films of all time? Yes. I <laughs> I feel no shame about that. I, I don't think you should. I just I just had this thought and I thought I would voice it out. I mean, I could compare it to Operation Dumbo Drop. <laughs> <laughs> and we might be able to have the same conversation and learn the same lessons. In Operation Dumbo Drop, Jake, there's this guy who's cynical but he's got a heart of gold and he's eventually going to turn out to be a great guy. And so we have a series of scenes. Now, Commander Dumbo Drop lives in Casablanca and he is like, I stick my neck out for nobody. But then he keeps like kind of sticking his neck out and it makes him likable. But also we understand that he's broken and we actually see these flashbacks where we feel his pain at the things that he's lost and we understand but is that movie a movie that's just centered around that one character story and not trying to juggle a whole bunch of different characters in different places in a great space opera? That's about some humorous, a humorous platoon of people bringing an elephant into some kind of. Uh, no, actually, Jake, it's got the police captain. It's got it's got the guy that wants to blue the buy the blue parrot. It's a template for how to do a movie from many, many, many points of view with many different interesting side characters. It's not, actually. In a relatively small amount of screen time, maybe two or three minutes, it accomplishes everything that Luke needed accomplished for him. I think, stop me if I'm wrong here. No, I'm wrong. We needed to talk about, I was going to say we were all the way to the salt planet, but... No, we're not on crate yet. No, we need to talk about the Ray wren snoke confrontation. I don't know that I have anything much to say about that. Snoke throws her around like a rag doll. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ren decides to kill Snoke. What a surprise. Yeah. It's interesting to me that Ryan Johnson chooses to play that moment as a bomb. We know the bomb's under the table. We see the lightsaber turn. Once the lightsaber starts turning, there's no question of what's going to happen. It kind of gives away the, the gag for the audience. Well, part of the tension is, is Snoke going to see it coming? And we've already seen Snoke rebuff multiple attempts where Ray goes after him real fast and he just waves his hand and I don't know I think that moment would have been better played to surprise but that's a nitpick if the movie was awesome otherwise I wouldn't well the movie is 
is telling you how much Kylo Ren has come to master himself. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of what's being projected. When he when we first have Ren in that room, Adam Driver in his performance is telling us exactly what Snoke is saying, that he's unbalanced. Mm-hmm. It ruined him when he killed his father so that he was bested by a girl who'd never held a lightsaber. He's gone through this journey throughout this whole film where he knows exactly, he's gotten himself under control. He knows exactly what he wants, exactly what he needs to happen. He has singleness of purpose about absolutely everything. And so he suddenly, he's master of the situation. And that's part of what we're being told is he's able to force turn the lightsaber as he's turning his real lightsaber. He knows he's projecting. He's only letting Snoke see what he wants Snoke to see. He's hiding what, and he is, he is in control of this situation. And I think part of that is really meant to make us, he's been all over the map up until now. Okay. I like what you're saying, but this guy is going to have to play the dweebiest Dagwood's boss style, out of control, screaming, ranting villain for the last half an hour of the movie. That's because Luke Skywalker shows up and Luke makes you feel like it's completely justified. I want every gun on him. Yeah, but he's also going to have the scene where he chokes out Hux and Ren never feels, to me at least, like anything like a credible, in control threat for for the last stretch of this movie after Ray leaves him. He just feels like the same petulant, out of control well, man child that we've already known, only now he's really wants to end things fast, just like Ray, a petulant man child would in, be. No, no, no. When he's got Ray in front of him, he's got the goal clear. He's absolutely convinced that when the time comes, Ray will turn. Everything about him through that fight to the end, to the speech that he gives to Ray, from those last conversations with Ray via Skype, up through the fight and final speech with Ray, until Ray goes for the lightsaber, he seems like he's in control. Then he's been foiled again. Hux is about to pull his gun or and shoot him while he's lying there asleep. Mm-hmm. He wakes up, and now he's just angry. Yeah, I, I I suppose it makes some level of sense, but why spend all the time on he's in control? I, I get what you're saying. I guess what I'm really complaining about is I think if you want Kylo Ren to be any kind of a credible threat, the way he's played in these last, in the scenes after this, is ridiculous. He is a cartoon character, and there's nothing that Driver can do to even elevate it. It's just stupid. He is such a lame. It's why those are the scenes, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but those are the scenes that made me know they have to bring Palpatine back, because there's no way that this Kylo Ren guy or this Hux guy are any kind of a, oh no, I hope. I mean, again, they are like a cartoon boss in a sitcom or something like that. Cartoon boss in a sitcom. I'm mixing my metaphors here. But these are two idiots. You leave Snoke alive, then we at least know there's a power behind the two idiots. But since Snoke's dead, the only thing we can possibly do is bring in a third party. And unless we want to create a really awesome third party from scratch, Palpatine's it. Yep. So I hate it. I mean, not only do they not give dignity to the light side, but they... And I know I said I liked Kylo Ren last time, but I guess it's the difference between knowing that the movie wants me. When Abrams does it, I know the movie wants me to think he's a petulant man-child, but I'm not convinced that this movie wants it to play as petulant man-child at the end, and it it totally does. Hmm. I don't know. I'm maybe being unfair. I guess the idea is when Luke Skywalker shows up, then the villains freak out. Because he's a legend. 
well, I sure wish I was still bought into this whole Luke Skywalker thing, but this guy's been a slack-jawed idiot the whole time who sneers and has green milk dribbling down his homeless person beard. Big deal that he shows up. And why would you not take Ben Solo's hand? We have watched seven movies now, and what we've discovered is that the Jedi, we as an audience, forget about Rey, the Jedi suck. They let Palpatine rise. Luke's absolutely right about that because they their, they're proud. their rules are stupid and they're proud. And then we had some heroes who thought that they did something pretty great. And we kind of felt like they did something pretty great in the original trilogy. And they were in over their heads, apparently. Yeah. The First Order rose. The bad guys came back. The dark side reasserted itself to balance out the light. Light Which rose. All, and dark- it's all got to be, if they do it right, it'll all be Palpatine. It'll all be Palpatined. 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 What a great portmanteau. You're welcome, it'll, listener. It'll be his contingency plan or his even bigger plan. Right. It's all part of the plan. Yeah. Everything, you know, it all went into motion as soon as he got thrown down the chute. There's still something you can do with the third movie, but when this movie makes a great case that Luke Skywalker sucks and that the Jedi suck and that Star Wars is stupid, that it all needs to be torn down. It does a really great job at making that case. And it does such a great job. It's so effective that Ray should go with Ben Solo. It does not make sense to me that she doesn't, except for that she just kind of likes Finn, who she knew for two days, I guess, or something like that. Like, who else has she known on car plot? I mean, well, she's known Kylo Ren. I mean, honestly, if she just has to choose between the two, I guess Kylo Ren killed Han Solo, and so that makes him bad. But she's had more time to kind of hang out and have heart-to-hearts with him than she ever had with Finn or any of those guys. But he heartlessly opened his lightsaber into his own father in front of her watching eyes. That does put a damper on their relationship. I guess, but, you know, he doesn't say, let's massacre everybody. You know, if he said... He says, let's rule the galaxy together. What does that imply? Like, I, I would just be like, okay, Finn, okay, uh, dude, let me ask you a couple questions. What do you mean by that? First of all... I'd love to, but can we get the lasers to stop shooting at my friends right now? That'd be nice. No, it all has to die. That's the whole point. The lasers are shooting at her friends and she's like, call off, tell them to stop, whatever. And he's like, nope, it all has to die. Uh, die. die. He's basically saying, no, we're going to massacre them all and we're going to start over. Right then and there is what he's saying. I think you just say, Ben, I get it. I understand you're upset. I understand you've never had this thing called friends, but- these are my friends, and I'd rather not massacre them, but I'd, I'd love to rule the galaxy. First first rule, don't kill those people. She says that, and he says no. And so he's basically right away saying, no, you join me in massacring all your friends, and we'll rule the galaxy together. Gee, I don't understand the logic of why she would walk away from that either. Well, he's not a very good negotiator. Then. <laughs> you know, here's, here's my opening bid. We massacre all your friends. <laughs> is that clear she literally runs to the glass and sees the ship still firing on the friends and she says call off the attack and he says no it's time for them all to die let's let it all die all right let's watch the scene folks we're watching the scene so watching it right now she says order order them them to to stop stop firing there's still time to protect the fleet he doesn't say anything he's obviously snook Skywalker. The Resistance. The Sith. The Jedi. I want you to join me. So she says, order them to stop firing on the fleet. And then it's like he doesn't even hear her. He's just big, grand, abstract statements. Let's let it all die. Come on, man. It's not like, come on. Let's let all your... Come on, be honest. 
No, I'm I'm being honest. That's honestly how I read it. Hit play. Okay. Let it continue. Why would he go to her parents right there? Because she's still holding on. She's got to be able to kill her friends like he killed his father. I still think there was room to negotiate. She could have just been... The terms were that she had to let her friends be massacred. You're still holding on. They had this whole conversation about not holding on. You're holding on, holding out for a father, for friends, for whatever. The reason I killed my father... I didn't kill him because I hated him. I killed him because I had to let go, stop holding on. So I still think the the easiest, the closest, the fastest way to get what you want is to say, well, okay, I, I, yeah, Ben, you're right. Jake, in your marriage, when your wife's being stubborn, would you just say like, well, we're not doing that. Let's go to bed. Or would you? Listen, you started by saying, I don't understand why Ray wouldn't just grab his hand. He made a compelling case. Then we played it back. And now you're saying, well, he made a stupid case, actually. But there was a good case to be made, probably. I'm saying the whole movie has made a fantastic case for his point. There's just one little sticky wicket, <laughs> which is that her friends are going to be massacred. And she just needs to be like, all right, I, I, I understand your point. We should definitely rule the galaxy and rewrite the order of things. But it's kind of a hard, be a, bit, a little bit of a bitter pill if you blew up all my friends. So if we could just not do that. Like she should at least uh, try that before she goes to the... Let's tear apart the lightsaber and kill each she other. She says, out. "Don't do this." No, but he. Inter- she, she's. That sounds like she's saying, "Let's not do it. Let's not rule the galaxy." What she should say is, "Great idea. Let's rule the galaxy. Just, it'd be nice if we didn't massacre people." <laughs> He's already said no. This is this is the test. This is what it means to rule the galaxy. She has to prove to him that she can let go. Well, I think she should. I think she should make him say that. <laughs> Make sure those are the terms. We're not allowed to have any subtext in this particular moment of the I, I, I think she should say, Ben, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite picking up on what you're laying down. Are you saying that I need to massacre my friends in order to join you? Because I don't want to do that. I like my friends. They're my friends. I'm saying you have to let the past go. Okay. So you that's a big abstract of- statement, Ben. <laughs> Does that mean I have to kill all my friends? Because that's, look, do you want to rule the galaxy together or not? There can be no peace so long as the rebels survive, so long as you are unwilling to let go of the things that you love and admit that. Well, okay, we'll make some new rules. We'll be the king and queen of the galaxy. And if they disobey them, then we'll have the massacre. You know what? I'm tired of this. I'm just going to pull out my lightsaber and kill you now because clearly you're not getting with the program. Is this Jake talking? This is Kylo Ren. This is Kylo. Oh, yeah, he's, he's not going to negotiate for that long. Got to stick to the rules of the char- the, the characterizations. No, man. here's a guy that I know is tempted by the light side and has a lot of angst and stuff and could easily be turned, actually. Talk, you know, talking through your problems is something that people should do. If Ray had just been willing to have a little dialogue with Kylo Ren. A little dialogue with somebody who wants to mass murder all her friends. I mean, Leia was willing to say, Alderaan's a peaceful sister. You know, she didn't just say, oh, well, you're going to murder my friends. You're a jerk, Grand Moff Tarkin. She said, Alderaan's a peaceful system. That we have no weapons. I think Ray just should have been like, I love this king and queen of the galaxy stuff. This sounds great. I just don't want to massacre my friends. All right, fine, Nathan. You win. She should have just joined great. up with him and so massacred her friends. I know the sound of sincerity when I can <laughs> hear it. When I hear it. <laughs> no, okay, fine. You win. You're right. That scene does 
play it off a lot like he wants to murder all of her <laughs> friends. I still think <laughs> the movie has done a very poor job of showing us why he's wrong. I mean, minus the fact that it's not nice to murder Ray's friends. Ray's friends have been shown to be a bunch of infighting idiots that can accomplish nothing and aren't very likable in the process. <laughs> and just, but according but they to- they have hope and they mean well. Yeah, well, big deal. So did Hitler. He did, wanted, he, did he mean well? Well, he wanted to bring about the Fourth Reich. He thought it would be a great place to live. <laughs> For who? <laughs> okay, maybe it wasn't a good Hitler <laughs> argument. <laughs> Lots of people have hope and they mean well. <laughs> Margaret Sanger, probably. <laughs> wow. I don't know. All right, I'm not going to try and defend Kylo Ren. I'm just saying this, this okay. movie is stupid. Okay. See, if you had said this movie is stupid, instead of spent the last 20 minutes trying to defend Kylo Ren, Maybe we could have got somewhere. Well, Luke Skywalker's an idiot. I'm sure it was entertaining. <laughs> when Kylo said, yeah, I was counting on that. Um, although yeah, people always love it when there's a pointless argument in, <laughs> in hour three of a podcast they're <laughs> listening to. But uh, listen, the, I guess all I'm really saying is everything that Kylo Ren says about the Jedi, about the resistance, about the rebels, about everything. He's absolutely right. This movie has done a great job of making all those points. And then it wants to stack the deck so that Ray can't agree with him unless she wants to massacre her friends. And I suppose that it makes some amount of sense. I sort of well, think- Well, if you're Ryan Johnson and you want to say those things, but you still have to get Ray back with the good side by the time it's over with, isn't that a clever way to do it? It is, except for what I've effectively done is I've made a movie in service of the lamest kind of pragmatism. Just like, well, actually, the only thing that really matters is the people that I like. There's nothing particularly good or bad. In fact, the stuff that I thought was good and bad was stupid. But I've still got my friends. And I just think that's a pretty lame movie. And it's out of sync with the actual rest of Star Wars. And as lame and simplistic and fairy tale logic as Star Wars is, it was always about good versus evil. And this movie never feels like it's about good versus evil, really. The only thing that we know Ryan Johnson thinks is evil is, I guess, Snoke, and, kind of, and those war profiteer people. Because they abuse poor llamas. And they're into war profiteering. And they like to war profiteer. But, see, that's an effective example, actually. Having somebody simply say these are bad people isn't nearly as effective as zooming in on a little boy being sad as his llama is electrocuted. That's the kind of simple stuff we needed with Luke and with some of this other stuff to really make it work. I don't know that we have to talk a lot about the salt planet stuff. I like the salt planet. It's a cool planet. It's a cool planet. It's cool that it's salt. Crystal foxes. Yeah, the crystal foxes are kind of a dodgy special effect, but they're a nice idea. I guess the final question really is, are you, Jake Mensel, going to be a Luke's showing up apologist? You said that was actually a good performance by Mark Hamill. Well, suddenly Mark Hamill shows up. He gets to wink at C-3PO yeah, and he gets to kiss Carrie Fisher on the forehead and hand her the dice and go out and be awesome for a minute. And it is what Mark Hamill signed up for was that. And what we as an audience signed up for. And what we signed up for when when this whole new trilogy was was put in the works and the whole cast got on board. That is what (coughs) Luke Hamill was looking forward to. Mm That was the one moment. That was what he was waiting for, was the chance to go and kiss Carrie Fisher on the forehead and wink at C-3PO and go out in a blaze of glory as the ultimate awesome 
Jedi that has ever been captured on screen. Yeah, I wish you'd been allowed to do that. That would have been cool. I got to wink and... So I, I actually like the scene when he shows up in the cave. I like the stuff with Leia. I like the stuff with 3PO. I like everything about the fight, Ben. Amazing. Everything you just... Every word you just said was wrong. Was well delivered and fun. Yeah, okay. Mark Hamill's performance is fine. What I remember, though, is sitting with an audience. Everybody trains their lasers on Luke. He comes out and he dusts his shoulder off. He dusts his shoulder off. That got a cheer. This was like Heck a yeah, a day of the... But then, here's the bad part. I have never... I, I want to say I've never felt an audience deflate the way that they did. I don't know that the ending of the movie actually got more than scattered applause. And you could feel the energy go out of the room as we realized this is some kind of force projection trick. And actually, Luke's not going to do anything all that cool besides be tricky and buy them. I mean, I think maybe this is just me reading into it because it's what I wanted, but it felt like the audience that I was with wanted to see it was deflating. Luke Skywalker do something cool. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it the felt- idea of Luke Sy- Skywalker withstanding all of those force, uh, all those laser blasts with the force, mm-hmm. brushing his shoulder and then sit and then just dodging Kylo Ren for half a minute. That was super cool. At whatever point you realized that this was a force projection, if you picked up on it early, mm-hmm. if you had to have Kylo Ren wave his hand through him and then him disappear and then cut to Octo, whatever, it was disappointing in its way. I thought it was massively disappointing. To me, it felt like it wasn't really Rocky in the ring. It was his twin brother or the, Captain America wasn't really fighting Thanos. It was one of Tony Stark's projections. The cool showdown that we waited the whole movie that was going to make everything worth it. It wasn't really Darth Vader in the hallway in Rogue One. It was a guy wearing Darth Vader's suit. Let's just take what was cool and fun about this scene and let's ruin it. I mean, I want to go that far. I think it's, I hate it. I, I feel passionately about this. I think it's awful. I think it's a middle finger to Star Wars fans everywhere who wanted to see Luke Skywalker actually be a cool Jedi. I think it's a middle finger to little kids that grew up with the prequel trilogy and know what a cool Jedi is capable of. And we're ready to see a cool Jedi, actually the coolest of cool Jedi, actually be unleashed. I think it's a failure of imagination. Uh, What's the word? It's the summation of everything that's dumb about Ryan Johnson's hatred of manliness and heroism and risk-taking and initiative that he doesn't actually want to see the greatest hero do anything all that heroic. And when Luke says, you think I'm going to go out with my laser sword and just take down the First Order, that's like a setup for, yeah, of course I am once I repent of this grumpiness. But what Ryan Johnson's saying is, no, actually, he's not going to go out with his laser sword and take down the First Order, because that's stupid. Nobody could do that. But he could function as a symbol of doing that, and that could sure inspire some people. Maybe that's a more adult way to think about heroism, but it's not a very inspiring one, and it's not a very Star Wars one. I absolutely hate it. And it felt like the audience hated it, too. So I was let down by it. But while you were talking, I developed a new theory. (laughs) All right, let's hear it. I want to ask the question. My new theory is that the movie will end on Tatooine. The new one. Okay, but let me explain how I got from where you were to where that is. So, thinking about the decision that Johnson made when he made the deci- when he decided Luke was going to force project himself across the galaxy or whatever, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that he thought one actually 
the more you think about it, how cool is it that he was able to use the force to find them? Right. They could have been anywhere. He had no clue where they were. He found them. He was able to project himself, project a younger version of himself, a version of himself that would have been scary as Kylo Ren remembered him, as everybody else would have remembered him. He would have been able to be in the cave with them, walk through, engage with them, touch them, kiss them, leave Han Solo's dice in Leia's hand that she could feel. He was able to keep all that up, walk out, engage, talk, project everything to the very end. And then he was able to die to a binary sunset, Mm -hmm. completing Luke's arc from binary sunrise to binary sunset. So I had all those thoughts real quick. And then I thought, I wonder if Abrams is going to end the movie on Tatooine with a binary sunset on Rey with our force ghosts. That would be weird, but why not? If I were Abrams, I would definitely want to end on something nostalgic. Or binary sunrise, maybe. Or binary sunrise, yeah. Like that. Something that feels like it's a culmination of <coughs> the trilogy, or the all nine movies. Anakin began on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. Luke began on Tatooine. Ray's new life outside of... Is going to begin on Tatooine. I can see it. Ben Solo's new life as a... He's not going to survive he's, the movie. He's dying. Huh. That's an interesting thought. Could be. Whatever it is, you're absolutely right that it has to be a shot that feels like the summation of everything that's gone before. And there's few better ways to do that than Tatooine. Yeah. I don't know why she would go there unless there's some kind of a, something, part of the plot. You know, the other thing, I kind of think if I was Abrams and Tatooine was going to have any emotional resonance, I'd talk to the Mandalorian guys and tell them to stay away from it. Fair. I don't want you guys to... Although, interestingly, they stayed away from the sunset. They did. The dual sun thing. Like, you don't actually he see dual suns in that. He never bothered. Yeah. I think I think that was on purpose. It definitely was, because they drew attention to it by having the characters talk about it. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let's see. Is there anything else to say about The Last Jedi? So, I, I hated... I hate that Luke scene, actually. You think it's worthy of hatred or just kind of, eh? I get what you're saying about... If you step back and think about it, what Luke does is actually pretty cool, but it sure doesn't feel all that cool. Like, not when we know that Jedi can do, like, flips and stuff. Like, why not do a flip? It's way cooler than a flip. Yeah, I guess so, but... If he had actually gone out there, he wouldn't have been able to withstand those laser blasts. I just think he would have, though. That's what I want to see. I ended into this movie, if you got to do the whole dumb movie the way it is, but you still want Nathan to want to go back and see it again... You just got to give me the Vader elevator scene, but with Luke Skywalker, which is, here's some fan service. This is the cool stuff that you always suspected Luke was capable of, but you never knew. And it's not an idea. It's cool visuals. So I want to see him wave his hands and all those ATSD things explode. And then I want to see him wave his hands and I want to see the Star Destroyers come out of the sky and explode. Then I want to see him cut things to pieces with his lightsabers. Palpatine will get to do those. I hope so. Palpatine's going to wave his hands and blow up a bunch of resistance fleet ships or so. He's going to force shoot lightning from his lair. On a, on a wide scale. Yeah. He's gonna, uh, I would take that. That lightning, the lightning from the, the storm, from the thing, it's, like, it's going to be Palpatine force lightning or something like that. I would like to see that. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be cool. I, I think George Lucas... As lame as he was, like he could tell the dumbest stories in the world and with the prequels, like this is so dumb and boring and full of politics. But I know 
at the end. In that third act. Yoda's got to come out and b- bounce around and fight somebody. And guess what? As a star, as a dorky Star Wars fan, I saw Attack of the Clones and sat through the sand and the I killed them all and all that crap, which I knew was crap because Yoda was going to fight Count Dooku at the end. And oh, well, I always wanted to see Yoda wield a lightsaber. And then same thing with Revenge of the Sith. Same thing with all three of those, actually. Like we're going to end with an awesome showdown and Sith that actually surprisingly wasn't Anakin it was Yoda and Sidious like here's the awesome ridiculous showdown you never knew you even wanted (laughs) (laughs) and I wanted to see something like that on that level with Luke and the fact that Ryan Johnson didn't I I, want to say it's it's not just a filmmaking failure it's a moral failure he just doesn't believe in awesomeness and what's more of a moral failure than not believing in awesomeness you know who does believe in awesomeness J.J. Abrams yes I agree it's gonna be fan servicey. I hope so. It's gonna feel fan servicey. I hope so. If it does, it's not gonna. It's not gonna give you Vader suit, and it's not gonna give you. Not gonna make it as much of an Anakin story as I'd like it to be. Not uh, as either of us or my kids would, and not gonna force ghosts aren't gonna show up with lightsabers probably. Mm-hmm. But it's gonna, there's gonna be a whole lot of fan servicey stuff. Well, through and through, we'll be back. Probably we're gonna record an episode tomorrow when people hear this on the movie and yep, i will and quick turnaround yeah i'll get it edited and out there as soon as possible so hopefully within the next couple of days you'll hear our thoughts i don't think it'll be <laughs> i don't think they'll be quite as detailed as this which is definitely gonna be the longest podcast we've ever done which was my goal by the way uh, not I that I've, i have not, not surprised i have not been artificially we're not gonna be able to but i have that much time left in the day no we're gonna do a quick what i, what I want to do is do a quick hot take on skywalker and then we'll come back to it and later. yeah we'll come back and do one of these for it eventually uh, when it's on home video but we we want to have every star wars movie thoroughly picked over by sanity at the movies before we're done but that won't be the episode that you'll get within the next couple of days so here's hoping here's looking at you kid sanity at the movies produced written all that stuff until next time dead heroes no leaders <laughs> <laughs>